Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Are you searching for the best in online black radio? Then go to BlackTalkRadioNetwork.com. Helping you filter through the noise. Real talk. Black talk. The internet is full of half-truths and all-out lies. We've all seen them, and many people on social media complaining about it. Here's your chance to show and prove. WorldAfropedia.com is a black-owned and operated encyclopedia. There are several thousand articles, but we need help. We can't uncover all the truth ourselves. So please, join us and become a writer, editor, or blogger for WorldAfropedia.com today. Every little bit counts. We owe it to the future generations to put the truth out there. Visit worldafropedia.com, the African-centered encyclopedia, a global database of African knowledge for the purpose of bringing about global African wisdom and understanding. Worldafropedia.com. Okay, so let's start here. This is a training video for firefighters in Amsterdam. Three firemen in an office, drinking coffee, catching up. And then one of them, this big bald guy, gets up to show the others this new helmet that he's just gotten. Picks up a box off the floor. Says, what is that? He makes a face. It stinks, too. He smells his fingers. What is that? It's pee. This conversation, understandably, turns to speculation on how the pee might have gotten there. Where'd you find this, he asks. At the depot. Do you think it was a cat? It was not a cat. The rest of the video, which is entitled The Incident with the Helmet, goes on for a few minutes explaining why it is not a good idea to pee in your colleague's helmet. Even if it's a joke. Like, that can make people feel bad and unwelcome. And the reason the fire department needed a video like this was that firefighters were peeing in their co-workers' helmets and their drinks and had been for years. This was a reenactment of an actual incident. Amsterdam firefighters had a kind of macho, frat house sort of culture. And for women who came to work there or anybody who wasn't white, it was rough in all kinds of ways. Pranks, bullying, racist jokes, sexist comments. Women described the environment as alienating. One Moroccan firefighter said, what we want is not super special. We just want normal behavior, normal treatment of people. Their bosses had problems with them too. The firefighters would simply ignore certain orders to change the way they worked. Back in 2011, the mayor of Amsterdam commanded them to do some straightforward things, like perform more home inspections, pass out smoke detectors, switch from 24-hour shifts to 8-hour shifts. A year passed, and another, and another. After five years, still nothing. They'd pretty much blown off his requests. 
the mayor didn't like to hear no. Paul Wuchs is a reporter at Amsterdam's biggest newspaper, Het Parool. He's covered the fire department for over 20 years. He put his fist on the table and said, and now it's over. And now I'll send you a strong man. He'll change the fire brigade in the way I wanted to change. The strong man the mayor brought in was a guy named Lane Schaap. His firefighting experience before this? Nothing. He spent his whole career working at the Amsterdam Police Department. And he wasn't just an outsider. He was somebody with a reputation for being a real hard ass. I expected a riot. <laughs> because the way they live in the fire stations, being all day and night uh, together, um, cook together, sleep together, um, that makes, in the end, that outsiders don't get in easily. Uh, here in Amsterdam, the fire stations are really like small castles <laughs> in the neighborhood. There's 19 fire stations all around Amsterdam. There were 750 firefighters, 500 full-time, 250 volunteer. A brigade with the same problems as lots of brigades here in the United States. And for sure, not all firehouses are like this, but it's not hard to find examples. Outside of Chicago, male firefighters broke down their female co-worker's shower door while she was in there showering. The chief handed her a towel and said, relax, it's firehouse fun. In Houston, women say their male co-workers peed on their beds, and when they complained, they were labeled troublemakers. The city could not substantiate those claims, but the Trump Justice Department has stepped in on the women's side. In Miami and New York, black fire department employees found nooses at work. In Michigan, a black firefighter found a banana on the windshield of his truck. Amsterdam is one of the rare examples of a city that really decides to take on the kind of boys' club culture in firehouses. And the firefighters don't lay down. They fight every step of the way. And one thing that's unusual about the guy running this department, Lane Schlapp, is that he is shockingly frank about just how messed up his department really is. One of his tactics is to be utterly transparent and show the public what he learns is happening behind the closed doors of the firehouses. He's also blunt about the pushback he gets. And so, unlike other fire departments and police departments with similar problems, in this case, for once, we see exactly how bad things were laid bare. And we also see all the resistance when somebody comes in and tries to change it. We see just how hard that is to accomplish. It's This American Life, I'm Ira Glass. Today on our show, we have this very unusual look inside a place like this. Reporter Joanna Kakissis has been digging into this for months. That'll be act one of today's show. And this is such an embattled department that the only way Joanna could get most of the firefighters to talk to her was to change their names and replace their voices. So you're going to be hearing a bunch of that and what's about to follow. Basically, only Lane Schlapp and one of his main opponents let us use their voices. Our producer, uh, Mickey Meek, reported this with Joanna. You'll hear Mickey's voice in there now and then asking questions. Here's Joanna. To take on a bunch of tough guys, the mayor hired someone who was used to being the toughest guy in the room. Lane Schaap climbed to the upper ranks of the Amsterdam Police Department by speaking his mind and not caring who didn't like it. He got things done by moving quickly and aggressively. He ran the riot squad. He was known in town for forcing out anarchists, squatting in a full city block of abandoned homes. Amsterdam is a progressive city, and sympathy was with the squatters. Lots of people hated Lane for what he did. They threw paint bombs at him. Only cowardly leaders don't show up. He's intense, with reddish-brown hair and blue eyes that look incredibly icy if you've pissed him off. His first week on the job, there's a welcome lunch for him. Firefighters don't show up. 
Then he gets an anonymous letter telling him not to enter any fire stations. He goes anyway, and he notices right away there's nowhere for him to park. The fire station's parking spaces are filled with recreational vehicles. Boat, campers, caravan. Boats with caravans, with camper vans, because basically the firefighters were using this area around the firehouse as their private space, saying, you know, we're here 24 hours, this is kind of our house, this is our place. Lane gave firefighters their first order. He said, get all your personal stuff out of here. Then they said, you don't run the show. You are not the one who decides this. They actually said, you don't run this. You don't run this. What's your problem? That's what they said. What's your problem? And kind of belittling. Why are you getting so worked up about this little boat we have? And what was your response to that? Um... I told them, you have to get these boats and the camper vans out of here. If not, I'm going to hire somebody to take all that stuff away. And they were like, oh, go ahead. And I took a step forward and stood my ground. Now I threatened to take a police crane and lift it out of there. Firefighters were furious and thought Lane was acting too much like an uptight cop. But everyone complied. They got rid of their boats and campers. Except for one guy who ignored Lane and defiantly brought a boat right back, the only boat in the parking lot. Lane put him on probation and moved him to another firehouse. It was one of his first disciplinary actions. The guy retaliated by not coming to work and taking the department to court. Lane was figuring things out pretty fast. He estimated there were about 50 of these guys in the entire department, guys who joined the brigade decades ago and now ran their fire stations. They kept tabs on their bosses through a private WhatsApp channel. Some firefighters called them the Brotherhood. Lane always called them... The angry white man. (laughs) We still have them. Angry white men, he says, who are against any change that would force them out of their golden cages. He knew guys exactly like this in his police department days. De groep waarmee we te maken hebben zou ik willen definiëren als straatvechters. These are tough guys, uh, born and raised in Amsterdam or in the streets, you know. Um, they're like built like a refrigerator, they have lots of tattoos, they have a big mouth, they're not so much super smart, but they're cunning. And um, if you try to approach them with too much nuance, then you're not going to make it because they know how to play you. And then, a few months into his job, Moroccan firefighters on the force started coming to him about a particular guy, one of the Brotherhood, who called them cancer Moroccans. In Dutch, this is a racial slur. When I asked for an English equivalent, someone told me cancer Moroccan is like saying fucking Moroccan scum. And also, when he was supposed to put out fires in Amsterdam West, where there's a lot of Muslims living, he would say that he had to go to the caliphate. This guy had a long list of charges against him. He walked around in a Nazi jacket. He threatened to nail a crucifix to the shower door of a Muslim firefighter. And he refused to go to a fire drill at a mosque. Again, Lane. This is really wrong. What if there's a fire in a mosque? Will he do his job? Will he save the people if he doesn't want to go in there now for the practice? And as a first responder in this multicultural city, you can't say that you don't want to go somewhere because of religion. And one of the things that betrof this, and I thought, here must I do something. 
So when I heard about this case, I thought, I have to do something about this. I can't leave this lie. Lane fired him. It was the first time racism had been cited as a reason to fire someone from the Amsterdam Fire Department. So he'd gotten rid of the boats. He'd fired a guy for racism. Progress. But the Brotherhood started a petition for the firefighter to get his job back. How did you feel about that? No. That did my eyes open. Really opened my eyes. Instead of kind of uniting around the people who were discriminated against, they united against the person who was discriminating, and they formed a block around him. The problem ran so much deeper than Lane thought. Why wouldn't they want to stick up for the guy getting harassed? For Lane, it was obvious. He instinctively sided with the firefighter getting picked on, and he didn't understand anyone who didn't. That empathy for the outsider... It made Lane an unusual commander. So he started investigating to figure out just how bad things were. The numbers were not encouraging. When Lane started, there were only five female firefighters on the entire full-time force of 500. The fire department is not allowed to record race, but he estimates that only around 10% of the force were people of color. These numbers didn't reflect the city at all. At least a third of Amsterdam's population is non-white. Lane visited the fire stations and talked with firefighters over coffee at the long lunch tables there. And he learned that lots of them liked the changes he was bringing in. He had a silent band of support. He asked people about their experiences in the department. And to his surprise, people opened up to him. Through their stories, he started to get a sense of what it was like to be a person of color or a woman in his fire department. Moroccan and Surinamese firefighters said they were called rats and monkeys. The Brotherhood told some they didn't belong, that firefighters should be Dutch and white. One Muslim firefighter I'm calling Ali told me that, over time, he learned to go along with the racial slurs. So when his co-workers called him bin Laden, he acted like he wasn't upset. You, you have to ignore it. If they find out that you don't like it, they'll keep on coming back and back and back. Have you ever reported discrimination in the past? It wasn't possible to do that. Nobody does that. You you could report whatever you want, but nothing was going to happen. In the worst of cases, when it really got out of hand, what you would just do is shake hands on it and get it over. The one accused, he'll just say, ah, oh, come on, man. It was a joke. Nothing's going to happen. Lane hired a consultant to help him reach out to women who'd quit the department. They felt like they never belonged. They said harassment and belittlement happened every hour of the day. One woman said men in her station asked her to leave the room so they could comment on her ass. Men told women to sit in the windows of the firehouse as if they were prostitutes in the red light district. During job interviews, women were asked how they do their jobs on their periods. One of the few female officers in the Amsterdam Fire Department is a woman I'm calling Yudi. The guys respected her. She was strong physically, and she was tough. Had no problem standing up to these guys. But even she felt like she was constantly being tested, like when a firefighter under her command purposely opened his towel in front of her. When she suggested that her bosses not put women into fire stations alone, but with other women, one of her superiors called her a highly educated, moaning female. One night she was doing her rounds, checking in on everyone, and stopped by the canteen. Uh, I was saying goodnight to everybody, and then they were sitting and watching porn. Did you say something bad? No. So I didn't I didn't say anything about that. Porn was a regular thing in the common areas of lots of the stations. 
I don't know why. Uh, I, I don't know why I didn't say anything. I didn't feel comfortable to say, probably. It's also me being influenced by the by the brotherhood, I think, because saying something, it's it's always uncomfortable to say that. So, yeah, I have to admit that I've avoided it too. Everyone's grip on what was normal was out of whack. Yudi remembers a woman at a fire station who had this particular bedtime ritual. So she would go to bed and somebody would come to tuck her in. Wait, they tucked her into bed at night? Like, what exactly do you mean? Oh, tucking in. It was like when you put your little one to sleep and you pull your blankets tight around the person. So the guy who would do that said, I'm going to tuck her in. And... I felt uncomfortable about that for her. I mean, it it was her choice, but I would never do that because it makes a certain situation that I think you should avoid. She was fine with it? She didn't mind this happening? Well, actually, I don't know. I, I, I can't remember having ever talking to her about that. What? Yeah. That's a good question. Maybe I, I might be putting her more in a danger or you know I I might not be helping her or maybe I was telling myself well maybe it's her choice and and she likes it or something but yeah I don't know hearing all these stories Lane realized he had to spell things out what is normal behavior in a workplace he wrote a manifesto on how to behave like a professional firefighter and sent it out to everyone. It begins, all of us are going to act normal. Normal meant we don't yell at each other, we don't steal coffee from the firehouses, we don't make offensive comments on social media, we always wear our uniforms, we don't store our personal tanning beds in the women's dormitories if we're men. If you break the rules, you'll be punished. And if you no longer know what normal is, please find out. Context. Context of White Supremacy. Gusty Renegade in for another broadcast, hopefully to share constructive information on the system of white supremacy. Today's date, Friday, October 4, 2019. So I have been told happy birthday to Khadijah, longtime listener. This is our weekly caucus. Neutralizing Workplace Racism. If we have any listeners in the known universe, non-white listeners, you don't have to worry about your co-workers urinating in your workspace, urinating in your beverage. You don't have that problem at all. No unwanted urine in your work area. You get all your promotions There's a parking space for you on the job. They are not calling you a coon, a nigger, anything else. They call you by your correct title every time. Pleasant work schedule. You're not moved around willy-nilly from one hour to the next. If you have figured out how to get to that position, please share with us how you did it with as much detail as possible. The number 605 313-5161. Decode 564-943-POUND. Press star 61 
if you would like to participate. Certainly, uh, if we have any folks uh, you are having problems, hopefully they are not urinating in your beverage. Uh, but if you are having difficulties in the workplace, please share. Uh, maybe we can come up with uh, some suggestions uh, to help you solve problems without creating new problems. That number again, 605-313-5164. The code 564-943-POUND. Press star 61 if you would like to chime in. And certainly if you have concerns about dialing in, you want to remain anonymous or you're not able to dial in, you can email untiljustice at gmail.com and I can read your commentary on the air. Keep it anonymous. Uh, if you have a workplace situation and you would like suggestions or if you have commentary on what's been uh, stated, uh, you can write in and we can share your commentary anonymously. Untiljustice at gmail.com. Wowie. That segment, This American Life, uh, it aired uh, last week. Uh, and in fact, I can even recount how I heard that segment. Uh, this American Life, that podcast has been on some time. I'm not sure if it's been on as long as the cows, but it's been on for some years. And I know cows listeners listen to it as well. Uh, I listen to it also, uh, myself. They often talk about white supremacy racism. However, this when I heard that segment, it was uh, Saturday, almost a week ago. Uh I was in the car. I just turned on the radio. I was not specifically looking for uh, This American Life. I don't normally uh, listen to it on the car radio. Uh, I just turned on the radio to see what was there as I was driving. I was slightly annoyed because white people were having some sort of race or festivity. And they had closed off uh, some of the streets uh, where I was trying to park at. So that made it even more difficult to get through. Plus, it was all congested and they were out in the street with their dog and everything. So I was a little annoyed. Uh, so I had the radio on as I'm driving annoyed. And this comes on. And I'm hearing the portion about what is this in the helmet? Is this urine? How did this get here? And they said that comes from a training video about uh, why we should not urinate in our co-workers helmets or beverages and i said whoa this is at the fire department there they're urinating in beverages at the fire department and it's so bad you have to make a training video <laughs> all right let's make sure when we're on the job before we go out to fight the fires please urine in the bathroom do not urinate in fellow firefighters beverage food helmet might need that. I was I went from being annoyed uh, about the white people and the streets being closed and everything else to wow. I just sat there listening, and it stood out to me more at the time because this was the second consecutive day I was in the car. I turned on the radio, and that happened where I was not looking for anything in particular. I had other tasks uh, that I was doing, and. Boop. Direct commentary, racism, white supremacy. You cannot avoid it. Anyway, that segment, uh, you can listen to it. It's like an hour. Lots of uh, interesting details uh, in the segment uh, where they said the boys culture. Uh, we talked recently this week uh, about the tendency in white supremacy racism to minimize uh, racist attacks. And 
we talked about it with microaggression, micro, small. Uh, the word was used this week, mini racism. I don't even know what that is. But there are lots of ways that this is done. Minimizing white terrorism, white supremacy, boys culture, urinating in helmets and the rest of it, calling people nigger. All of the everything that you heard in that report, urinating in people's beds, breaking down the shower door when someone's trying to shower. That's quote unquote boys culture. No, that is racism, white supremacy and terrorist behavior uh, at best. Uh, And the same thing with uh, the old boy network. These are grown white men. They don't even they don't even do that when it's uh, black people, black males specifically are being maligned. They don't even say boys culture. They say toxic masculinity. They didn't even use their ten dollar catchphrase. Oh, we got toxic masculinity running around and the boys culture and the old boys network. Those terms shouldn't be used either. Uh, and the brotherhood. And he got direct with it. Call it what it is. He said the brotherhood, angry white men could have put racist in there, too, but. Be direct with it. Let's not uh, try to sugarcoat pussyfoot around with things. We're talking about individuals who classify themselves as white men in this case, practicing racism, being hostile in the workplace. And it's especially bad because they're in the fire department. Uh, The urine thing, especially because it came up repeatedly, not just in the helmets and uh, in beverages, in the bed. Uh, I stopped and I said, whoa, now this is in Amsterdam. Now, how many times have we heard incidents about urine being weaponized in the system of white supremacy? I just went to the book club. I didn't do any research. I just went to the old brain computer. What do I remember? Victim of white supremacy. And so I say, okay, Richard Williams, uh, black and white, the way I see it. We read that in the book club. He talked about that directly. A white man pulled out his penis and was going to urinate on him. Uh, Madiba talked about it more than once. Uh, Robin Island, race soldier, South Africa, global system uh, with the urine pattern uh, that some of the Afrikaners would come and urinate on them uh, and that this happened more than once. Uh, We got American sniper Chris Kyle, suspected racist. Uh, We read uh, his autobiography where he talked about with glee uh, the Navy SEALs and one of their uh, routines, rituals, uh, they would get in the water and they would be all cold. And so these white men would cling together and urinate on each other to stay warm. That's just, you know, some of the points from memory. But urine, I just. <laughs> what does it mean to be white? If we have any, unfortunately, if we have any listeners, if you have any experience with urine in your workplace, dial in. That's why I say I know it is not always the the most enjoyable, prideful thing uh, to be able to say, oh, yeah, I can tell you about that time where they urinated on our. If you got one, I think somebody did say that they had an experience where they urinated at their desk or or something. Anyway, if you got one, feel free uh, to dial in to share. Uh, I was I thought of retired firefighter uh, quite a few times uh, in the segment with them kind of bogarting the the parking spaces and that having to be a threat. Uh, The name calling uh, that went on in the fire department, especially the victim who said that he went along with it uh, just because he didn't know what else to do. If you get upset about it, then they will be merciless and just do it all the time. What to do? 
figuring out a code, a code other than, well, I'll just laugh and go along with it because it's not funny. That's not counter-racism, and I think that can contribute to uh, health problems. Uh, but even the manifesto where they have to talk about what, quote, unquote, normal behavior is, this is the fire department. <laughs> System of racism, white supremacy, that and the same, the conversation we had with Calvin Lawrence on Wednesday, he was in the police department and they put up the official running nigger target in his workspace. This is one of those uh, target practice. If you're going to go to the shooting range, the gun range, and they put a silhouette of a black person with a big Afro and they put it in Mr. Lawrence's uh, workspace. And this is ha ha. This, this is what they call boys culture act of white supremacy, white terrorism. Uh, speaking of Mr. Lawrence, uh, Calvin Lawrence, he was with us on Wednesday. It's in the archives. We talked about his book, Black Cop, uh, which is explicit. It was like we have two episodes of workplace racism this week. His book is exclusively about his experience as an enforcement official, 36 years worth, and all of the incidents of white supremacy that he experienced not being, but things we talk about every week, not being promoted, not being given raises, uh, unjust networking where whites collude across the entire country in some cases, uh, collude to keep him from getting uh, a proper placement. Uh, he works. Uh, he came to the conclusion himself in the book. He wrote it out as though he listened to Gus D, uh, Gus T on a weekly basis. Uh, you go in, you work hard. You're just trying to do the best that you can and advance in your career and be competent. And you think that white people will see that. But oh wow, this guy's all right, right on. That's great. That's not it at all. You are a nigger, and if anything, you are threatening nigger that we need to do a little unjust networking to neutralize. However, within all of that, and all of that is in the book, and we touched on quite a bit of it uh, when he was with us uh, this past week. Within all of that, uh, the toll that all of this can take and does take on victims of white supremacy, he wrote about that pretty eloquently. And I just want to share kind of two quick snippets uh, from his book, because uh, I think this is so important. This happens to so many victims of white supremacy. We get terrorized on the job. We're not sure what to do about it. Often we don't have support. We don't have people that we can turn to to kind of help us deal with some of this stress. And it just takes a real massive toll uh, on our health and well-being. Uh, so this is in Black Cop from Calvin Lawrence. He writes, emotionally and physically, I was going downhill fast. I was experiencing a major clinical depression. I put on extra weight. My anxiety levels and paranoia paralyzed me. The only emotion left to me was anger bordering on rage. Back in Regina, I received a call from the nursing home telling me that my mother in Halifax was dying. Uh, the nurse handed me handed the telephone to my mother and we spoke briefly. She had advanced dementia but seemed to recognize my voice over the line. I caught a flight to Halifax as quickly as I could. When I landed in Toronto to catch the connecting flight, I picked up a phone message. It was staff from the nursing home telling me that my mom had passed away. I didn't make it home to be with her in her final moments. To this day, I wonder if I had gotten a timely transfer out of depot back to Ottawa, would I have gotten to Halifax in time to ease her passing. I just want to pause here 
uh, I guess one there, cowbell adopted white mother. How I'm just recalling uh, speaking to Neely Fuller Jr. Uh, he served in the military. He was in the military when his mother passed away. And he said that he was coming back, uh, trying to get to see his mom before she passed away. And he was on the bus and it was, you know, nigger get to the back. And he said he's in uniform, you know, on a special release to go and try to see if he can meet with his mother before she dies. And it's, did you hear what I said, nigger? Get to the back. We got a nigger in uniform. Right. Get to the back. Patterns. Continuing, in tears, I boarded the plane in Toronto and, and continued back east to make arrangements for her funeral. Throughout the spring of 2002, the now standard responses, standard operating procedure, standard responses from staffing continued. There was no money for transfers. I wasn't bilingual. There were no positions available. My investigational experience was dated and on and on. It seemed as though every day they churned out some new novel excuse to delay what was rightfully mine. Mentally and physically, I was completely worn out. I contacted the depot psychologist for help with my deteriorating mental state. Adding insult to injury, my phone calls were never returned. Eventually, I was contacted by my career manager. He noted that the officer now in charge of the prime minister protective detail would be willing to take me back on the team. I would certainly have gone back to the team. Hell, I never would have left in the first place if given the choice. The only requirement in front of me now was that I had to pass the Royal Canadian Mounted Police physical fitness test known as PAIR, P-A-R-E, prior to being admitted back onto the Prime Minister protective detail team. In my normal above average physical state, I would have passed pair without a hitch. At that point, however, stuck in Regina, grieving the loss of my mother, missing my wife, and having endured six months of on-the-job stress, I had let my fitness level slip. My breath languished and my heavyweight frame was starting to tip scales. I knew I wouldn't pass the pair test if it was administered. On the other hand, given what I knew through contacts in Ottawa, I suspected that there were currently members on the PMPD who had not passed pair. All I had to do was find one to confirm my suspicions. Then I figured I could take the transfer, get back in fighting form, and pass the pair test once these devils were off my back. I visited the PMPD in Ottawa and spoke with several members. One of them told me that he had not passed pair and that he was going to do it on his own time. When I got back to Regina, I contacted Sergeant Cord Hadley in staffing in Ottawa. I requested that I transfer immediately to PMPD and pass pair at a later date, as the other member was allowed to do. Hadley never answered my email. To me, that was it. I had reached the end of my rope. Once again, I donned the now-tired cloak of the angry black man and sought out the services of a lawyer in Regina. I'm skipping down a few pages uh, just to read final few uh, paragraphs. Uh, this is on page 232 of Black Cop. Uh, there's no warning of the onset of mental ailments such as post-traumatic stress disorder, anxiety, 
or clinical depression. It just comes on bit by bit. You try to manage, but one day it just gets on top of you and you're no longer who you once were. I'd spent a lifetime running from emotion. I had always been more comfortable punching the shit out of a bag or a sparring partner than dealing with feelings. But I had run out of gas. Negativity washed over me. To make matters worse, I was being treated as little more than an errand boy. Man, not. In my new job, I'd be sent out to get a book And when I returned, the supervisor would already have the book in his hand. I was sent to return files to the records office. Nobody cared what I did with my day and I was being driven mad. My coworkers barely cared if I showed up for work. I had become a glorified gopher with 30 plus years of experience. Suddenly, I found myself a potential danger to those around me. I was trained in various martial arts and with numerous weapons, and I was beginning to wonder if I could trust myself to not lash out physically. At that point, I began to worry about my potential to go homicidal at work. The marginalization and subtle abuse at work wore me down even more. It got to the point that I went to health services and attempted to assess professional assistance to access. I showed them the email package I'd received through my access to information request and explained my whole story to them. The doctors at health services were shocked and dismayed at what they read and heard. They immediately referred me to Dr. Andre de Salouz, a clinical psychologist who treated many Royal Canadian Mounted Police members in these types of situations. It dawned on me that I had to leave this poisonous work environment before I hurt myself or someone else. I was near my breaking point. I was placed on sick leave due to stress. It was supposed to last a few weeks. I went home to recover and regain my balance. I needed to mourn the loss of my career. I needed to mourn the loss of my mother. I found I had never developed techniques to deal with decades of compounded grief. Memories from my entire career began to flood back into the present without invitation or announcement of their arrival. I couldn't shake the fact that my treatment at the hands of the RCMP had been blatantly unjust and that I was intentionally being made to suffer. It seemed like this is what this was what happened to a black man who wished to be treated with dignity and respect in the RCMP. My mental state was not the result of my experiences as a police officer. It was due to an internal, coordinated attack on me by vindictive members promoted and endorsed by the Royal Canadian Mounted Police's dysfunctional culture. I will stop there. Uh, Mr. Lawrence, again, he was with us this past Wednesday. We talked about this book. Uh, I read this just because I think it's so important. Uh, That was one of the major feelings that I was left with after reading the book is it's it's so sad. He did get uh, there was a settlement and he did get some sort of financial compensation after going through mediation uh, with the uh, Canadian Mounted Police. But man, to to spend he worked there for years. He spent over 20 years working with this agency and to go through all of that. Uh, And the reason I read it, I said, I think this happens to so many black people around the world where we are in 
poisonous, racist environments, and it destroys our health and well-being. Not that you can be, quote unquote, healthy in a system of white supremacy, but things can certainly deteriorate. Things can certainly get worse. And I think it's so important because, as he said, sometimes it happens so slowly. Uh, and I think sometimes we can just be so numb to the abuse that we experience uh, that we just don't stop and make an assessment to say, whoa, this has really taken a toll on me. And I think that I should get out of this work environment as soon as I possibly can. I think that is critical uh, for victims of white supremacy. I think frequently uh, things are designed uh, to have us uh, caged, contained in these really destructive environments uh, for years uh, when we could get out, uh, we could find a better plantation uh, that would not be as toxic for us. Extreme. Again, I think I mentioned it when I was talking to him. He he talked about a part of that was all of the alcoholism. I mean, certainly being denied promotions, being denied transfers in a timely manner, being lied to, uh, the unjust networking, all of that. But he also spent a good deal of time talking about the alcohol abuse within the agency or within police culture, period. And him being sober, frequently being in the position of chauffeur to, you know, kind of haul around these drunken whites, suspected white supremacists uh, after a night of debauchery and alcohol. And I mean, you talk about depression. Uh, again, sobriety would be best. Make sure that that's clear. Sobriety would be best. And I would not be in that position at all. Uh, that sort of thing, that would be exactly why I do not. If it's going to be drinking, I'm not going to be at this affair. I would not be the designated chauffeur uh, for a bunch of white people. That sounds like such an extraordinarily dangerous environment, especially for him because he's armed white people. But just in general, uh, the, the the shenanigans that can take place when you've got what I say consistently, one of the worst combinations in the known universe, whites, alcohol. This is like exponentially worse because these are whites who have firearms. Do not uh, do everything that you can to avoid being in that position. Uh, it just seems rife uh, with potential for all kinds of problems and racism uh, of all sorts, things you probably couldn't even imagine uh, since you've got uh, a lot of inebriated whites. No alcohol, and I would, I would strive to avoid environments where there's going to be alcohol, even labor for that. Let's, let's see if we can make this sober. If this is a workplace function, let's be professional. A lot of times this, this, the drinking and things get out of hand. Seeing that and I've heard that brought up in workplace training sessions regularly. Anyway, the number again is 605-313-5164. The code 564-943-POUND. Press star 61 if you would like to participate. Uh, folks have any thoughts uh, on the... Uh, segment on the fire department if we have any folks who have an experience with urine in the workplace you should immediately step forward hand up let's hear uh what your experience is uh but if we have thoughts on the firefighter uh, fire fighter 
segment uh, in Amsterdam, uh, what I had to say about Mr. Lawrence uh, or his segment period, because that was workplace racism. Or certainly if you have your own situation, star six one will get you on the line and I will share the folks who emailed. Uh, I will read their commentary as we proceed. Uh, folks who dialed in with a hand up, line should be open. Feel free. Hey, Gus, this, um, I'm sorry, somebody else is going to speak. Go ahead. That's okay. I, I can wait. Thank you. Okay. I won't be that long. Um, first thing that popped in my mind, I have a workplace urine st uh, story. When I went to my first duty station in the U.S. Army in Hawaii, and this is not funny. This is not funny whatsoever. We're standing on the balcony of the barracks. Um, we're not on duty, but you're never off duty, you know, so this was work. This white boy has these balloons filled with urine and throwing them at people. Then this black girl comes out um, that was in my unit. We all lived in the same place. And I had knew that he had urine in that because he had, had said so. And he was going to throw it at her. And I told him, you better not throw that because you're going to be in trouble if you do. So that's my workplace urine st story. Founder of the Black Talk Radio Network, uh, Mr. Scotty Reed. Uh, not funny, but I, def I always appreciate illustrations of black self-respect. Uh, to stand up uh, for this uh, young lady, uh, to make sure that this act of terrorism uh, and debauchery uh, did not. And this is in the military. I mean, what in the world? I thought these are supposed to be the country's finest. You're going out and serving the country. This is a fellow officer. I mean, what? Thank you for sharing, uh, Mr. Reed. And again, phenomenal illustration of black self-respect uh to challenge uh this race soldier out there and who, <laughs> announcing yes i am here to throw urine filled water balloons that even reminds me i forgot one they had that incident i think it was back 2013 i just connected because i think it was the same summer as the trial for the murder of trayvon martin uh in virginia coon man there was a white man who was throwing urine-filled water balloons, and he hit a black child. It was a young black boy. We played the segment on the compensatory call-in uh, in broad daylight, was out throwing urine-filled water balloons, terrorized this young uh, black child. He didn't even want to go outside. They talked to his family. He didn't even want to go outside the rest of the summer. Uh, again, much obliged, Mr. Reed. Uh, be in Toronto. Thank you for your patience. Global system of white supremacy. Thank you so much, Gus. Uh, good evening to you, callers and listeners. Um, so, yes, there's at a couple of jobs I've um, encountered uh, situations where uh, there have there was one with a white woman and one with a white male um, who uh, with urine incidents. Uh, the one with the white woman. Um, this was at a credit union that I used to work at, and um, apparently she uh, didn't like the fact that there were non-whites working at the credit union. There was about five non-whites in different departments um, in the downtown city core, and as part of her protest um, uh, with her racist uh, ways, she actually squatted um, and 
and urinated in the credit union in front of everybody. And um, uh, we were able to get police to escort her out. Um, and uh, a lot of people were saying that, oh, it's because she has a mental illness. Uh, I, I don't know. I, I wouldn't chuck it up to mental illness. She appeared to know exactly what she was doing. Uh, in another situation, um, the uh, white male, he had urinated in these um, water bottles, empty water bottles, and uh, he would let them sit. And then he would throw them at um, a community organization uh, that I used to work at. He would he would throw it at the at the wall and at the entrance. So um, the smell was just absolutely horrid. Um, they finally decided to install uh, cameras, and the last I've heard of it, they actually caught him and he was charged. By that time, I had moved on to another another. Uh, plantation um so yeah uh for those were the two incidents um i did get a chance to listen to mr uh calvin lawrence um and uh, about his experience um on your show as well and um it's it was just quite telling um with uh many of the experiences uh that he went through um it's it's you you're you're absolutely correct it's it's pretty much what is heard each time on uh neutralizing workplace racism in terms of the experiences um i also have an apology to make as well um because i i don't have the word guide so uh that is my next investment is to obtain the word guide so that at least i'll be more proficient in um, utilizing uh, appropriate terms, um, appropriate meaning terms that does not end up supporting um, uh, white supremacy. So um, that is an investment that I will be getting um, very shortly uh, so that uh, I continue to learn and grow as well and also teach my family as well. Uh, So thank you and I leave the line. Much obliged to be in Toronto. Uh, no apologies needed for that. Uh, we are all still learning. Uh, I think myself and, and some other victims, I suspect, have the word guide uh, and still uh, use terms that, you know, are, it's recommended that we not use. It's, you know, a process of just trying to be aware of your words. So, yeah, no apologies there. Uh, ProduceJustice.com for folks if you need a code book or a word guide. Uh, Neely Fuller Jr.'s work, ProduceJustice.com. But that is global system of racism, white supremacy uh, with the urine incidents. I was going to say stories, but don't want to minimize. But the urine incidents. um, Wow. Global system of white supremacy, racism. What does it mean to be white? If we have other folks who have uh, workplace racism incidents with urine, feel free to share. Uh, I guess I would ask, too, because uh, that was one I had not read before when Mr. Lawrence in the book talked about. They would have these get togethers, workplace get togethers uh, with alcohol. And it would be he, he talked about that. The drinking was encouraged 
as a part of the work culture. We're supposed to get together and drink to excess, drink until someone blacks out type of thing. Uh, and he said with all that, uh, where you end up being the one to drive the folks around after they have done all of this. If we have any other people who participate in that sort of environment, uh, you can share on that as well. It just sounds horrible. Uh, I cannot imagine um, just being the sober one in all of this. And then you've got them in the car and they're misbehaving, I'm sure. You hear all those incidents about Uber drivers driving drunk white people around and then they end up calling them a nigger or assaulting them and that sort of thing. So I can't even imagine uh, being in that position. Uh, if folks have dealt with something like that, that would be interesting uh, to get more details on as well. Uh, let's see. While I'm Let's see. Other folks uh, who dialed in with a hand up, if you have commentary to share, proceed. Can I be heard? Uh, greetings, retired firefighter. Greetings, Gus. Greetings, everyone. Uh, yeah, the uh, I heard the... Uh, the clip uh, and what it confirms for me for me is uh, the uh, racist culture in the fire station uh, is global uh, I have always even when I used to consume alcohol but would never consume alcohol in the company of white people. Uh, the fire service itself uh, gave me a uh, firsthand understanding of racism, white supremacy, uh, where I was I would say forced to pay attention to white people and what they do, what they say, what they make a habit of not saying and doing. Uh, because to not have codification in a work facility such as a fire station uh, you would be uh, really placing yourself in a dangerous situation. As I mentioned before, the difference between that employment and others is the not so much of the daily uh, experience outside of the fire station if the fire station itself. Uh, most people don't work in an environment that's uh, similar to, and in some cases when I first got on for about the first 10 years, exactly like a home. Can you, can you imagine living for 24 hours with white, with white people in the most intimate ways right next to in a bed with a white female 
they quickly had to put stalls and get rid of the homes that they were using. Uh, the origins of the fire department in Miami-Dade County was a white male who took the fire truck home, and that's where he ran calls at. And as it grew, they still had these homes leased out. And when I got on the fire department, they still had these, these literally people used to be people's homes, white people's homes. And they would have these, you know, just beds laid out. It'd be a bedroom. And instead of just one or two beds, it'd be about three or four beds in this, in this bedroom setting. Uh, so you would, you would see their behavior, not just in a formal, formal, formal structure, you know, with, with, uh, maybe a uniform or if it's in an office, office type clothing and, and that sort of thing, the things that people normally do in those type of settings, you would see them in more relaxed situations. Because, I mean, you don't be going on calls every second, even in the most busiest areas. So that behavior, that behavior would come out in many different ways, many different ways, especially as black people started being allowed to uh, have the job. Uh, what I was able to do was to quickly get on war condition mode. And that's why a lot of times the, my suggestion to a lot of callers when they be calling about certain, certain actions is that I state that you, ha you must, you must bring attention to it your dislike or your, your uh, uh, stating of what you're not going to participate in, you must bring it up immediately because otherwise you're giving that white person license to mistreat you and mistreat you in a gambit of ways. And they would, and they would trade they would trade that information to the next fire station you go to, you know, as far as that, that behavior. So I was, I was, you know, one thing about myself and a few others that I, uh, uh worked with and formed relationships with that are still, that are still, uh, today. I mean, speaking of that, you know, I mean, tomorrow is, is the, the, uh, another session with the DCS program. And I'll be seeing Mr. Clark and uh, the other founder of the organization that we started uh, uh, during the time we were firefighters. And uh, so, I mean, it's something, it, it, it was, it was a, a, a hell of an experience. For about a year, I had, I guess what they call PTSD. I think I'm pronouncing it correctly. Uh, and I think I've mentioned it before on a program, but I stated again, I would always imagine because I never, you know, with dreams, I would never when I wake up, I would forget what the dream is about. But this one, I, I would never forget it. It was always this image of this very, very uh, uh, white male. I mean, white when I mean very white male, a white male that, that had very little melanin. 
in in his body. Uh, reddish, shoulder-length hair, with a handlebar mustache. No facial description at all. It it was just you just knew it was a white person with a blue jumpsuit during the early period of time when I was on the fire department. The uh, rescue guys wore blue jumpsuits at the time and he was this was a huge white male and the dream was basically defending myself from being mistreated and then i would wake up i'll wake up i wake up and 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 realize oh i don't have to go through that anymore <laughs> you know and uh but my my one thing about what i was last thing i was going to say is that is that what I actually appreciated based on my, my self-defense activities that as I was coming to the station, I already had a reputation that he will, this nigga here will fight back. And it would appear that he doesn't, he doesn't care about keeping his job. If someone mistreats him, he will fight back. And so they basically, for the most part, some of the things that uh, you were talking about or that was being played, it didn't come to me because of that reason. Not saying that they were, I, it wasn't capable, but I think they understood that that person, that individual would take some risk also in the process. And so primarily I, I was, I avoided most of those things, including the urine, the urine in the helmet. Uh, I did have my, uh, uh, bunker gear. That's the gear that you take and you have on and in, into the fire. I would have it, you know, where somebody would take it and take it somewhere. But I didn't care because basically it wasn't mine anyway. It's just a matter of you going, going and getting more of it. So if you know that's costing the county money, not me. You know, as far as that concerned. But uh, yeah, memories. That's what I was listening to early in the program. Thank you. He <laughs> said, man, I hope I am never in that position in life where they are talking about people having urine put in their hats or in their beverages. And it's, oh, man, I remember those days. Like, oh, my God. <laughs> got to check it. Got to check yourself. <laughs> you, you, got, you, got, you got to do it. You have to check your, your stuff, especially from what myself and Mr. Clark and several other guys was doing off duty and it was getting in, it was getting into Miami Herald, which is a major newspaper down here at the time, you know, that sort of thing, you know, and, uh, you know, yeah, you, you, you better check your stuff. You know, you better be aware of what is going on around you. What's being sometimes what's being said, you know, that sort of thing. Uh, I thought, I thought it was actually a compliment when I, when I, when I was given a report from a white male that said, that said, he said that, I don't know. I don't know if Imani would, uh, would actually, uh, assist me in a fire. And I welcome that. I welcome that thought because, <laughs> because, you know, that kind of like would keep, uh, you know, the whole idea uh, of any type of shenanigans at bay, you know, or this, this is a, this is a quote unquote crazy nigga. That sort of thing. Although I'm not, you know, actually, but uh, I guess I fooled a few people, you know, in that light. But uh, yeah, 
those are my thoughts. Thank you. Much obliged uh, for sharing. Retired firefighter. Sounds like being codified uh, is mandatory in such an environment. You cannot be messing around uh, if they're going to be. You got to check everything for urine. We got to have a code. We cannot just be doing anything, saying anything uh, in this type of environment. Wow. Uh, context of white supremacy. Number again, 605-313-5164. Decode 564-943-POUND. Press star 61 if you would like to participate. If you have workplace urine stories, this is the day to share. Also, uh, we had a listener who wrote in. She says, uh, this is the attempted mother in Atlanta, Georgia. I've been filling out employment applications and wanted to ask you and the listeners on the call for some advice. Is it best to answer the race and gender identity questions honestly or to simply decline to disclose that information altogether? Uh, I think for the gender one. Now, certainly this is a new day. So, you know, a lot more options now. But generally, I would think people would probably come to some conclusions just based on some of the information, like your name, uh, about the gender of an applicant and could probably make some reasonably good conclusions just based on that. Maybe the same uh, for race, actually. Uh, That's what I was thinking, because whites, they are so skilled and hyper vigilant about racial classifications much more than you know we understand uh that they pay attention to things like that there's so many different uh reports and research where just based on you have a nigra sounding name so we're going to toss that application or you're from a zip code that we recognize as oh this is the dumping ground for where the nigras live in this particular area uh so we you know toss that application it's lots of different ways that white supremacy racism is coded uh so for the gender one, probably fill it out. Uh, I don't know how that would cause any problems. The race one, maybe don't fill it out. Uh, maybe don't fill it out. Uh, I don't. I don't know how checking the box for any of the non-white options. I don't know how that would improve your chances. I mean, maybe they have some sort of program where they're supposed to hire a few dark people or what have you. But I mean, we are on a system of white supremacy and there are lots of studies where someone changed up their racial classification to white or didn't put black and they got more responses. So maybe leave that one blank. Uh, But white people still have a lot of ways of getting that information and or we've heard from people where they showed up for the interview and it was, uh oh, I thought this was a white person and we got, uh oh, so uh, be prepared for that, too. But maybe don't fill out the race one. I guess that would be mine. The folks that are with us that have a hand up, do folks have uh, any suggestions about that? When you go to fill out employment application uh, for the gender box, racial classification box, do you check it? Do you check it honestly or do you not check it at all? Can I be heard? Mr. Scotty Reed. Um, I, I think your suggestion of not checking it at all, then that way they can't say that you committed fraud. Not that it would be a criminal offense to check the wrong box, but I would just not check it at all. 
Much obliged. Black Talk Radio Network founder, Mr. Reed. Well, I guess that count myself. That would be two for maybe don't check it at all. Uh, any other thoughts, suggestions? Do you check uh, the gender race box? Leave it blank. Or do you check it honestly? I'll give folks a little time to think about that one and can share. Uh, do you fill out that information honestly? Because sometimes they do give it optional uh, if you want to fill it out at all. Uh, let's see. We had a different uh, listener write in. Our caller, speaking of Virginia, the coon man, uh, our listener in VA, she was with us at the uh, Virginia retreat at the earlier part of the year. She writes, two similar scenarios happened in less than a week involving two white women co-workers number one the first one excitedly texted me from the university's football game saying that she met an alumna from the college i raised money for we have five colleges under the university system and insisted that i must in capital letters meet this person the co-workers followed up with several emails and set up a lunch meeting this has never happened before and our job is competitive it's rare to give a donor away to a colleague because of her insistence i suspected that perhaps the person she wanted me to meet was black when we showed up at lunch yes the woman was black i looked her up in our rating system after lunch and while the woman has a good job and mentioned she makes six figures she may make a small gift less than one thousand dollars but will unlikely give at the levels we are supposed to work at to meet our goals and metrics making these assessments is part of our job so it's odd that this colleague would go to such lengths to set up this lunch to put that in context uh this listener has shared before how conniving white women and her job uh where she's you know gotten donors who are going to contribute you know like quarter of a million dollars, third of a million dollars, you know, lots and lots of money. Uh, they would scheme and kind of, oh, you messed up the grant. You messed up the money and didn't follow proceed and all this when she had done everything uh, in a pristine manner where everything was accurate. Uh, and then they came back and did more griping and complaining and got credit for half of the donation when they didn't do any work at all, uh, but just whined and complained uh, in that sort of environment. I believe it is a contest to see which employee can raise the most money, get the most donors to contribute. I believe that they do have like an internal competition amongst each other. So as she said, for all the competitive nature of this environment, all this fuss and a lunch over someone who probably is not going to contribute, you know, $100,000 because of the system of white supremacy. She could be making more money and then she could give more. Number two, the second woman is a former colleague who was dismissed. Since leaving last year, she has only stayed in touch to repeatedly ask me to join her multi-level marketing sales team and to buy the company's skin care products. I've said no every time politely and in different ways. A few days ago, she texted me and she knows I'm not interested in joining her team, but asked if I can refer any of my friends to her because I'm so connected. Then she sent me a picture of her and a black student asked me if I knew him and said he's part of her team. Question, what would be the reason for these white women to go so far to prove to me that they know black people? What could be the motive behind that? Well, 
with the second one, uh, I think it could be if she's got if she's been asking repeatedly for you to come and work for her. Uh, this could be a oh, we've got Negras. I love the black people. Got a few on my team. Love the coon man as well. Voted for him. Uh, that could be uh, the type of thing that she's doing. Or at minimum, I think a lot of times white people want to make sure that we are not suspicious of them. So if you've been turning her down, this could be, hey, you know, I'm one of the good ones. Hook, work with me. Share some of your connects. You know, send me some of your homies. That type of thing. See, look here. I got this here black fella here. Do you know him? Is he one of your cousins? It could be that sort of thing uh, to make sure that she can try to get in your good graces that you'll do right, that you'll hook her up, send her some business, be a little more receptive to her. The first one, I don't know if this is one that they were trying to prove that they knew this black person. This might be one of those waste your time type things because I think sometimes white people, they'll see another black person and it's, oh, you guys got to be friends. Or if it's a black male and a black female, like, oh, we got to you know be matchmaker and make you guys a couple uh, type of a thing. So they see this person like, oh, this nigger doesn't have a lot of money. She's, you know, it's no big deal. She's not going to give us uh, the type of check that we need. So, oh yeah, you should hang out with her. Yeah, let's let's set up a lunch date with you all. And oh, this is great. We got a nigger in the office. We got this nigger here. You all should be pals. Let's make sure that they I think they do that sort of thing on a regular basis with black people. I don't think that one was to show you, per se, that they know these black people. I think in my view, that was just a, a, a different way that white people practice racism and just, oh, these black people got to know each other or these black people uh, work in the same facility or work in the same area, or these are just two niggers that I know. So they should be homies, boyfriend, girlfriend, whatever it is. And, you know, I'll work really hard to see that that happens. I've seen that type of thing before too. I think that's super tech because they wouldn't do that if, you know, they just went out and met a white person. They wouldn't come in that day. Oh my God, every white person, you got to meet Bill. He's, you know, that's my interpretation of those two. Could be an error. Other folks can share if they have a thought or a reflection on that. Uh, number again, 605-313-5164. Decode 564-943-POUND. Press star 61 if you would like to participate. Uh, again, we had the caller who asked about do we share gender or racial information? Do we check in those boxes for employment applications, uh, suggestions on that if people have advice. Uh, and then uh, with the scenario that I just read, do we think these white women, what's the motivation behind their conduct? Uh, if folks have any thoughts on that one, certainly if we have any more workplace urine stories, feel free. Uh, and then uh, if you have your own situation, workplace racism problem or something that worked out well and you would like to share, no spectating, uh, proceed. Hi, Gus. Stacy in the UK, our obligatory timestamp, uh, 2.14 a.m. Saturday morning. Good to hear from you, Stacy. Hello to you, Gus, and to the rest of the callers. It's 2.14 precisely. Um, question on the, the person from Virginia who just wrote in. The first situation, did she say that the person she was introduced to at lunch is it is somebody who wouldn't meet their donor threshold i guess i was muted sorry correct 
Um, therefore, um, sounds like a setup to me. So, if um, the caller from Virginia then starts to pursue and waste time with this person, she'll probably end up getting reprimanded at some point in the future. So I just it just sounds like a little bit of a setup to me. Um, that's my assessment of the situation. And I'm reading my line. I, I don't have any urine um, experiences, thank goodness. Lucky you. Maybe, well, I was going to say maybe they don't do that in the UK, but thankfully you just have not experienced that <clears throat> in the UK. Oh, okay. I didn't say that, Gus. I didn't say that. <laughs> <laughs> right on, right on. Woo! Much obliged, uh, Stacy in the UK. Uh, so I'll have to, have to process that a setup to perhaps have her get in trouble in the future because she's not going to meet the threshold, this black female that they introduced her to. She's not going to meet the threshold uh, for finances. Uh, so, Well, I ju- sorry, I just meant um, if they're told, and it sounded to me like they are, her team are instructed on the types of donors potential donors that they should be cultivating relationships with. So if you're not spending time with the right type of donor, it's not going to lead anywhere. It just would, you know, I would imagine it could come up in a performance conversation at some point in the future. Why are you wasting time with this individual? Mm. Um, So that's why I think it's a bit of a setup. Hmm. That is logical. That that is logical. Uh, that efficiency. I think that does come up a lot of times in uh, meetings, especially if it's going to be. She said it's competitive, especially if it's something close and if it's a promotion or a raise, and it's it's tight between a couple people. I could easily see what you just said being the type of thing. Oh man, it was it was tight. Looks like you wasted a little bit of time here with this person who really wasn't going to you know give us the type of money that we need. What we're what we're looking for. We're looking for the big fish. That's the type of thing that they'll that they'll say. Um, Either way, I still think there's there's something just really tacky about that. Because, uh, like, if she, let's say, if she had been in a better position where she could be one of the people to to make like a two hundred thousand dollar gift, hundred thousand dollar gift, three hundred thousand dollar gift, uh, I don't think they would have been like, oh, look at this nigger that I met at the football game. You know, you all should hang out and do lunch. Like, I don't think that would have been the case at all. <laughs> it would have just been, oh, maybe I'll tell after I've already locked up this donation and all that. And then, and even then, I don't think it would have been, you all can go out to lunch. Cause you know, you all might liaison and do your, you know, nigger business and, and decide that she wants to work with you. So yeah, it wouldn't have been that at all. Uh, if she was a big donor, it just seems like, yeah, like some tackiness to waste time and yeah, that type of thing in the future. Uh, I have to think about the, the other, yeah, the other one I already thought about. Yeah, she's just being tacky and trying to get resources uh, from you and show you, or try to lower your suspicions. Uh, the woman that sent the picture where she's with this black student. Uh, much obliged, Stacy. Uh, other folks who dialed in, uh, if you have comments to share, suggestions, uh, your own situation, no spectating. Proceed. While folks are getting 
their thoughts together. I'll read one of our other emails, make sure I get through all those today. Uh, let's see. So this is from a black male. Uh, he writes in, I realized whites move as one unit once I started the hiring practices at my job. My job only hires black people, only black women to be a placeholder. To explain, my job has a high turnover in the bottom positions, so they will hire a white person temporarily until they can find a black female to work there. Once they do, the whites immediately get promoted. Every single white person in that department has gotten promoted after a group of black women were hired. It didn't matter how long the whites were working there. In my four years there, I have never seen a black person get promoted. Uh, I'm just pausing because Mr. Uh, Calvin Lawrence, he was on the program. He said he had worked for the Royal Canadian Mounted Police for a decade, or he wrote it, for a decade and had guarded prime ministers. He has pictures where he was guarding uh, President, United States President Jimmy Carter, other presidents and foreign leaders and what have you, where he's there making sure that they're safe, unmolested. Never been promoted. Global system, continuing. Uh, they either quit after not getting promoted to black people, they either quit or get fired. I was only hired so my white co-workers could get a better schedule. Half their workday is done stealing company time. We don't open until 9 a.m., yet they are able to start at 7 a.m. and leave at 3. I got called into a fake meeting where they explained they were going to hire one more person in my department, but they are having trouble due to the lack of experience which is a known lie. They are simply waiting for my other white male coworker to get his certification so they can hire a black person and have him promoted. All the whites know about these hiring practices as I have heard them speak about it numerous times and they all hang out with each other after work. I also noticed they will have a problem with a single black person at the same time and terrorize them together. It also doesn't matter how the new white person is. They immediately get on code to attack any black person. I will only say you cannot be ignorant about racism, white supremacy, if you are classified as white. Some of this sounds like unjust networking. Some of it sounds like the Voltron effect, which I've used for many years. Metaphor, uh, whites coming together as a group, as a collective to mistreat uh, a, it can be an individual white or non-white person or a group of non-white people, but coming together so that they can pool their collective resources to be more efficient, more powerful in their terrorist offensive. Very common in the workplace. Uh, and this pattern of black people being hired specifically as the term he uses here as placeholders will just come in, burn you out. You'll get stressed, tired, fired, whatever it is. We'll move you on and we'll bring another black person and do the exact same thing. While the white people we bring in, we nourish their careers. They get promoted. They get the proper training so they can do well here. Mr. Lawrence talked about that exact same thing as well. Not getting training, not getting groomed, not having your career groomed to nourish and prosper. 
you're this just here to be burned out as a placeholder nigger. Until justice at gmail.com if you want to email your situation or suggestion in. Uh, other folks uh, who dialed in uh, with a hand up, uh, if you have your own situation to share or if you have suggestions, comments to offer, proceed. Uh, can I be heard? Uh, greetings, M. Hondisi. Uh, yes, sir. Greetings and greetings to everyone. Uh, I had my own situation I wanted to share, but first I'll give commentary on some of the other situations I've heard. Um, the first is with the checking the box about your demographic. I think if you don't check the box, they'll figure you're black. I know if I found a, you know, if I was in the hiring process, how you call that? If I was HR or, or the person who accepted all the um, applications, and I've seen a few applications that didn't have the race marked, I was like, oh, this is some nigger. If I was a white person or a black person, I still say this is, this is a black person. You know, white people probably are going to proclaim or declare that they're white. Um, but, you know, I don't know. Check it, don't check it. I'm not sure which is uh, better to do. Um, well, let me move on to uh, the situation um, that I had at work. So during the training, again, um, this is now a number of weeks back or however long back, um, during the training, we had to do a number of physical holds on each other, like wrestling. They called it, I, could, I forgot the, the, the letters that they had, but it, it's some type of training where you have to put these children in holds, because I, I was working at a place where, it, uh, where we would deal with a whole bunch of children with psychiatric problems. Those white children with psychiatric problems with a few black people, a few black children. And then, um, but the workers were mainly black, the lower level workers. The, of course, the um, higher level workers, the managers were white. So um, while we're doing this, this training, I'm, I'm totally against what, what we're doing. I'm, I don't want to throw around any kid or, or slam, or they called it a whole bunch of different things. They, um, instead of, instead of, um, slamming or instead of, instead of saying slamming or instead of saying we took them down or we took them to the ground, you said we escorted them to the ground or, you know, and all that. And, and a whole lot of changing the words of whatever it was that they were doing and made it, um, something less of, of what we were doing, if that makes sense. But my problem, biggest problem, was this white instructor. He, was, he got the most attractive black female um, trainee, and she was the one that he did all the demonstrations on. Short lady, black lady, um, shapely, young, um, and attractive. And that's the one he did all, the, all, the, <laughs> all these moves on. And so here's some of the moves. One of them, you, you, uh, or most of them, you have, to, you have to get behind the person and then you take their arms uh, 
and behind their back. And then you rock them, you rock them forward and then you rock them back. But when you rock them back, you have to sit their butt right on your leg. This is the whole time, right? That this is, this is, this is the whole, this is one week of, of, of training. This, he's doing this the whole, the whole time. He's getting this one female. And so, and so he, he kept picking her. And then, so I complained about it. I was like, all these men, why don't you get one of the men to demonstrate on? And then, so he got upset with me and he said, uh, you know, later on after I had to do a demonstration and then, um, cause I, I also said, I was like, um, does this get inappropriate? You know, th- does, when does it get inappropriate? Cause there was even one point where he, you, a number of these moves, you have to take the person to the ground, these children or these, whoever, these people that we're dealing with, we have to take them to the ground. So in the demonstrations that we're doing in this training that we're doing, we're taking each other to the ground. These are men and female men, men, uh, excuse me, men and women, males and females, mostly black trainees. <clears throat> if I remember correctly, there was two white trainees and I'm trying to remember the number of black trainees. It might've been around 10 ish, uh, something like that. And so, uh, he took this black lady to the, he would take, he put her to the ground and in, in the moves, the demonstration. And then he on the, he went to the side of her and then he, he put his knees to, to one side of her, like a rib cage. And then his hands, he, he reached over her. So now he's like, like bridged over her and he put his arms, his hands on the other side of her. And then, and then you, uh, you like squeeze. And then you lean forward, so now you're, you're what's this? Your, um, your thighs are pressed up against the person's um, upper body. And it's almost like your, your penis would be almost on the person. It's like just, if you just lean a little forward, you got it all in her. And so, you know, I'm pissed off. And I'm like... Um, you know, I'm, I'm like, hey, doesn't this get inappropriate? When it, you know, I, I made my, my, my complaint. And then so I had to do the demo. Everybody had to do the demonstration. So while I'm doing the demonstration, you know, he was like, uh, in his rebuttal, he was like, um, now, if you touch her breast, you uh, lose points. And, you know, that's him. And, um, and then so he, he was like, um, he, he just, it was, it was, it was really, 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 really irritating. And, and it, it kept going and it kept going. He would not demonstrate on the men. I kept complaining and kept protesting. And finally he started demonstrating on the men, but his whole thing, his, the whole mantra was, you're going to have to take down people that are a lot bigger than you, a whole lot bigger than you. And, and, and so, you know, you just have to be, you have to be comfortable. You have to know all the moves. You have to have help. Two people are going to do these moves sometimes. Sometimes you have to do it by yourself. But every time he demonstrated, he was demonstrating on this small female, black female. And, and then when he would, if, if it was anybody else, it was another female. Yeah. And so and, and after I complained so, so much, he finally picked the, the biggest, uh, uh, the, the other black, one of the other black men uh, who happened, somebody I know. He works out a lot, so now you know he's uh, pretty buff. He's kind of tall, kind of, and and so like it's hard to put him in these moves. But you're telling me that the kids, some of the kids are his size. 
And so we're, so, so we should, so you're demonstrating on the smallest female, you know? And so even, and then when he was trying to put him in the restraint, this dude was struggling so much. And, um, you know, he couldn't even get the, the guy's arms behind his back. And in, in this one move, you have to like take them, you take them to the ground and you're still on your knees. They're on their butt. You're behind them. And, and you uh, take their arms and kind of lift it up or something. He was having the hardest time. The guy wasn't even pulling back. It's just, you know, he had so much muscle. It's tight and it's hard to pull the, the arms back. And the guy was just, you know, struggling. And, and then when he was doing the moves on me, you know, I'm just, I knock him a little bit. And so he starts, <laughs> by the time he was done, he was sweating. So, um, but anyway, um, then, then I go into the actual, into the working with these children, you know? And so, like I said, all these daggone cameras, the cameras weren't even there during the training. That's where the cameras need to be at the training is where the cameras need to be. There was no cameras there. Um, but the, the cameras were where all the kids are. <clears throat> and so there was this other white male who was in a, high, uh, um, a mandatorial position. And one of the black females, this, you know, we worked all the way through the night. Some, they even have night shifts. I didn't take third shift. But anyway, I took second shift. So I'm, I'm, I, see what everybody's, I see what everybody's doing. And then so like um, the second shift, of one of the black females was going to get off the second shift. But before she got off, she got a call from one of the white managers. And it was FaceTime. So I, so she's like, you know, just kind of rolling around in her chair so I can see who the person that she's talking to is. And he's telling her, Hey, you know, um, we're going to go and get some drinks tonight. And, um, we're going to go about this time so that, uh, we can, we'll be drunk by X time. I'm like, the, you know, and so, and, um, and then, so I made my little complaint, you know, to her, just, you know, just letting her know, Hey, I, I don't approve of this nonsense. And so, you know, but whatever. And so that's that. I get worked up about that. It, it really irritates me that I have no control over, over the sexuality or the, the sexual acts that these white males are performing on our women. And then so, I'm sorry if I'm a little jumbled, but um, so the way I see this is what they do is they're getting everybody like sexually aroused. Obviously you're going to be sexually aroused if you're rubbing up on women all, um, during the training, during this a week of, of putting people in these holes and that holes and, um, and laying them down and laying on top of them and, and then putting their butt on you and, 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 you know, fondling them. You, everybody's going to be sexually aroused. You can even smell it in the air. And so it's like, and then they put you, and then right after, then they put you in, in this, in that room with all those kids and all those cameras, and you're still working with those males and females, you know, or the, 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 your coworkers, it's male and female. They're just watching and, and seeing how everybody interacts, who hooks up with who, you know, what's just, what's going on. And like I said, there's cameras, every, every wall, if there's four walls, there's four cameras and another or something, it's, it's, it's ridiculous. You can't, I can't even think. I, um, I, I, I was just, I couldn't think. 
I, I would look this way and I, I know they're looking at my eyes. What should I do? Should I close? I can't close my eyes. That doesn't make sense. I'm scratching my head. I'm scratching this part. Does that mean that I'm, I'm, I'm using that part of my brain? Maybe I shouldn't do anything. Maybe I should just leave this place. You know, so it was just really, 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 really aggravating. Um, the, the whole setup, even I was, I've, I've been told about a number of those white managers, people, those higher positions who had been sexually involved with the children, which would mean it was rape. And then they got promoted. There's this one black female who, who says that she's a man, like she grew a mustache or whatever, and, you know, dresses odd. And, and so one of my brothers was telling me, this woman, she, she, she tells them they have to call her, they, they, she tells the children they have to call her Mr. Whoever she is. And if you didn't call her Mr. Whoever she is, then she would deduct points from you. And, and they work on some type of point system. They deduct points and reward points and all this. But excuse me for being so worked up. Uh, thank you. Wow. Uh, much obliged, uh, M. Hondisi. Thank you for sharing. And that would be another illustration of black self-respect, uh, at least second for the day. Uh, black Talk Radio Network founder Mr. Reed started it off. But uh, I think for a lot of us, it would be difficult. I, that was why I started with Mr. Lawrence, where he, where he was talking about all these things happen. It can take a toll on you. Do I say something? Do I not say something? Uh, and then the report from the firefighters, they were saying the same thing. Do you say something? Do you not say something? If I say something, am I going to lose this job and blah, 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 and all that? Like black self-respect for, for speaking up and, and having to speak up consistently to say something about this. That is so rampant. And I think we've had someone else. It was uh, one of our listeners called in about that not too long ago. Um, I think it was Emmy where she was saying it was a white, uh, instructor was doing some sort of demonstration. This is the code. This is what we're supposed to do. This is what we're not supposed to do. And it was the same type of thing where it was kind of some contact might be inappropriate. Definitely one of those you want to be careful, especially now in the me too environment, Bill Cosby is in jail. You know, you kind of want to be careful about this, especially if it's going to be a male student that you're doing this demonstration with, uh, watching your touching, uh, to consistently, everything about that just seems incorrect. If he's consistent, you got a, a group of people. So, I mean, you could be taking turns like everybody should get a turn, uh, going through this, not just consistently going back to pick the same person in all of these, you know, kind of suspect, uh, positions, especially if you're going to emphasize now, Hey, some of the, you know, clients that we're going to be performing these procedures on are kind of big. You got to be able to take down these big people. And then you just keep going back to this cute, small girl. Come on. So yeah, uh, commendations for speaking up and saying something uh, in that environment and noting the incorrectness. And uh, especially in those environments where people are working with children, there's so much uh, sexually incorrect behavior, incorrect behavior, period, but especially the sexual uh, abuse uh, that takes on that is so rampant. Uh, it's not just Jerry uh, Sandusky, Jimmy Savile, uh, as well worldwide, uh, to be hyper uh, vigilant that it can be that blatant where people are doing those type of things right out in front. Uh, and then you combine that with the alcohol. Now that we've done all this, I've been able to get all my fondling in for the day. Now let's, you know, in things properly, go out and get a few drinks. And then to have the 
have the drinking down to a science. Mr. Lawrence talked about that. Uh, institutionally promoted drinking. Have it down to a science that we have calculated it so that we will be totally inebriated at 2,200 hours. Got it down to a science. We just got to leave right now. Sobriety would be best under conditions of white supremacy. Uh, I also, I thought it was important, the words that's so consistent. Uh, they, I was reminded of uh, Daniel Pantaleo, Eric Garner. They didn't call it a chokehold. They called it a vascular neck restraint. This is not a chokehold. You did not pile drive that child. Uh, you put him in a supine holding position. <laughs> They'll have some sort of nonsense uh, like that. That is standard operating. That's what we talk. Words are so important. No one understands and demonstrates their understanding of this better than racist man, racist woman. Uh, and especially if they're going to be working with a lot of non-white children. Like, oh man, we can get that vascular neck. Where you see what Daniel Pantelet? We can do the same thing. It's not a chokehold. It is a vascular neck restraint. You write that down. That's the way that you write it. They took go over all that. This is how you write it up in the report, what you did, what you call these techniques and maneuvers. And then we'll go over all this at uh, this is even more fun to try out these maneuvers once you've had a few shots of tequila. So we'll get together at the bar at eight. We'll be intoxicated by 2200 hours and then we'll try out some restraint and i've seen i've worked i've worked in environments with children and they did that they would get together for drinks and say all right let's practice some of the straights i've actually seen that happen in environments where people worked with children much obliged imhan dc on self-care because he did seem upset that's why self-care is so important when things happen workplace terrorism workplace racism occurs uh making that assessment has this impacted me has this gotten me upset where i've been riled up about things that i even seeing you know how other people are being treated or mistreated in the workplace uh has that impacted me and if so i need to do some things to replenish i need to do, do some things to repair because that can linger with you just that energy uh can linger with you and have a really corrosive impact on our health and well-being much obliged uh again imhan dc uh, other folks have comments, uh, suggestions that they wanted to share. Again, if you got urine stories, today is the day <laughs> for urine stories in the workplace. Uh, we had the question about do you fill out the information when they request your uh, gender or racial information? I was even thinking, do you mark white? That might be an option. Mark white until somebody, you know, demands that you, you know, reclassify or says that that is not appropriate. You cannot be classified as white. Um, but we had that, um, we had the scenario about the, the two, uh, the white women, uh, and their shenanigans with our caller in Virginia, setting up this luncheon with a black female donor, who's not going to donate a whole lot of money. Uh, but they insisted that they hook up and, and have this luncheon, even though that's very irregular. Uh, and then the other one where the white woman was trying to solicit her help for joining her team. She works for a different company and sent her a photo where she's with this black student and asked if she knows her. Uh, if you had any commentary on what's been presented, grant. Uh, if you have your own situation, that is great as well. Star 6-1. Not a broadcast for spectators. Uh, did other folks have uh, feedback? Even for Imhan DC.
Can y'all be heard? Uh, greetings, caller in Florida. Yes, sir. Thank you very much, sir. Greetings to Gus, the host, the listeners and callers. I was thinking about uh, two incidents that I think may involve, I guess, uh, uh, urine or whatever, or using the uh, restroom or the stalls or whatever, or the urinal. Uh, this first one, this, um, I think, yeah, it was a, it was a JA that shared a story about, I think, someone she used to work for. And she said that the person was crazy or whatever, some white person, white guy. Uh, and she said that he had a fascination with a, a bowling ball. And she said that one time it was reported to her that he left the bowling ball in a urinal. Um, and okay, so when she told me this, I thought about, you know, a Wilson moment. Why would he put uh, a bowling ball in a bathroom urinal? And you envision that. Uh, and she didn't necessarily say why he did that, but he just had a fascination with this bowling ball. He would keep it around his office, uh, do different things with it. Um, our next one is I was in the hallway talking to uh, non-white, non-black female. And she was sharing some workplace racism with me uh, that she's been trying to transfer to get a position from um, being under a suspected racist, mistreating her all the time. And she's been denied constantly. So while we were talking about that, we both look over and we see uh, a white man coming out of the female bathroom, you know? So she, she starts walking down the hallway and she says, yeah, I'm gonna have to go back upstairs. You know, that's going to be, I, I can't see myself going in there seeing that almost like she was traumatized, but sometimes some of the bailiff officers would go in the female restroom. All right. So I, I've never done this. Um, so I don't know, maybe they may do this if the males, the male restroom is occupied or whatever. And I guess they have to stay near the uh, security room to see who's coming to the uh, back door. But I thought that was, uh, uh, I guess you can say strange, but very uh, abnormal. Um, my next one is there was a, there was a comment that was made when I was walking through a department and I stopped to respond to the guy. It was a white guy. Uh, I think he was asking me about an event that happened over the weekend or something like that. And I was like, Oh, no, I hadn't heard about it. And I asked him, well, you know, what happened? So black female, she comes in, uh, says, Oh, well, look who we have here. Even though he just came over here, uh, 15 or 20 minutes ago, he's back to, uh, I think she said, bless us with his presence or something like that. So they kind of, like a lot of the, the co-workers kind of banter with each other like this, or squabble in some ways. So he responds saying, uh, 
quiet adults are talking. The white guy. And then she says, oh, well, I only see one adult. So um, I say, hey, I'll see y'all later on now. So he starts laughing and, he, and I just say, all right, y'all have a good one or whatever. So that was another one. And then his girlfriend, for my next one, um, I walked by that same spot and I, I try to speak to everybody and I say morning or whatever. So I spoke to her and then I was about to open the door to head out through the, uh, to exit the department. And I was about to speak to the black female and she's like, Oh, well, no, don't speak to her. She's sick. So the black female turns around and says, Oh, that was so rude. And she says, well, you know, I need to go uh, use the restroom. Can you cover the front? And she's like, oh, no, I ain't sitting in that spot. So I don't know what you're talking about. Uh, so apparently in this area, uh, racism is being practiced. My next one is uh, there was an incident that happened uh, earlier this week where the uh, black female in the area that I work in she, I guess, got some flowers from her husband. Uh, and I know I spoke on one of these incidents before, but it happened again this week. And apparently some kind of gossip, uh, unjust networking was generated because the uh, white woman that usually converses with her, uh, I think she goes to spread her information. And she, the black female, comes back out and tells the white woman that, hey, you know, uh, such and such just told me that the bailiffs were talking about me saying, oh, why is she always getting all these flowers? You know, why why is he always sending her flowers? That costs too much money and this and that. And now she actually, <laughs> she said the, the white person told her that she said to the bailiffs, oh, uh, see, and that's where y'all mess up because she said something about, well, that's how her husband is getting laid or something like that. And that's why y'all don't get laid. Now, this is somebody in a high position talking about this black female out of her presence. So there's no telling what else she's saying about her. And that's like highly inappropriate to say. And it was customers around too. So I'm like, yeah, that's, that's, that's something that shouldn't be said at all. Um, but I think racism was involved in that because a white person is coming to share with her. This is what she's saying, but I do not think she's telling her everything. Uh, I have a, one more, uh, just on Friday, I came in to, uh, get back to the desk that I've been assigned. So the white woman, once again, she, uh, apparently was being addressed and confronted, um, being a breach of dress code policy. Uh, so she comes in now and she says, oh, okay, that's it. We're all going to be held to a standard. That's, that's the, that's exact, exactly what she said. So she comes back to the desk and, um, she says, well, I'm going to wait till the customer leaves and the customer leaves and the black female asks, oh, okay, you know, well, what happened? What happened? And she says, oh, well, I just thought I should get a second opinion from 
the warden, the, the, that's the code name. Uh, and she's going to be a stickler about it. So I love all of you, but I'm going to hold you to the same standard. And no, none of them said nothing. It's a, um, wow. Or something like that. And I'm going to make sure I'm looking at the supervisors and make sure they adhere, adhere to the policy. So apparently the females through the office, they keep wearing certain dresses and uh, forms of attire that um, I guess break the policy or whatever. So she said she was, uh, she said, I feel targeted. Now I was about to ask her on the basis of what, but I said, now, is this about dress code? That's the question I asked. Um, and she was like, yeah, you know, they were saying that it's, it's two inches above something and, this, they're going to make it harder for, for me to have a proper dress code. So she said to the two black females, I'm going to hold you all to this. I'm going to hold you all to the same standard. And, and one of them supposed to be a so-called supervisor. And she gave no response at all. Um, and that's all I have for now. Thanks for allowing me to share. Do you know exactly how this white woman uh, allegedly violated the dress code? Like what, what does she have on that she wasn't supposed to be wearing? It looked to be like a uh, like a, a black dress, like a uh, like a whole dress or whatever, and she had a a jacket over it. But she's a bigger female, bigger white woman or whatever. So I don't know if she meant in that way what she said she was being targeted. But uh, I seen she was in a supervisor's office. And she was coming out of the office looking upset. So I guess she went back to administration um, to talk in further detail about, I guess, what can be done about it. So maybe she got written up for it. But I said, this is interesting. A white person, I guess, uh, being punished because this person has been allowed to get away with a plethora of things like, uh, like she just mistreated the black guy. and. He caught her cursing about him. This is the same person, but yet you saying you, he says he feel targeted and you're going to get other people, the two, you know, she only said it to the two black ladies. Now you got a whole side of the department, white women. I doubt she said that to them. Wow. The white woman is shrewd. Wow. She is being targeted, but let's see here. Let's, let's see. I'll get back to our targeted uh, white woman with the dress code who's going to hold everybody accountable. Now, when white people say that they're going to hold people accountable, man, I get concerned. Black people, you know, that'll just take up a lot of time. But white people, when they start to, oh, well, I love everybody. But you got to hold your account. Uh oh, <laughs> like man, something bad is fitting to go down in the office. Like, woo. Uh, but I'll I'll back up. Let's see. So even the courthouse has got incidents with the urine. What in the world? Uh, the bowling ball. I agree. That's a Welsing moment. 
uh, totally why that would even be connected with the bathroom, uh, going to touch your genitals, people who read the ISIS papers. Dr. Welsing talked about that, the bowling ball representing the black genetic material, knocking over the white pins, phallic symbol, uh, for him to be obsessed with a bowling ball. Hmm. Uh, let's see. So the white male is able to come down and use the female bathroom. I said Bill Cosby is in prison before uh, listed as a sexual terrorist. Uh, I cannot imagine being able to go and hang out. And I believe you said you had saw some other uh, male co-workers or folks hanging out in the female bathroom. This is at the courthouse again. Like what? Uh, I would document. That's the sort of thing when I talk about having a workplace journal documenting because I mean wow like now maybe this person is transgender who knows could be one of those situations but I mean I would be concerned uh if it's just that willy-nilly and anybody can run especially if this is a group bathroom type thing like this is not you know one person you can go in lock the door and it's just going to be you like if this is a group thing so this person goes in and you got other females in the bathroom like whoa is that what's supposed to be happening at the courthouse? You have children that come down here, this little girl that uses the bathroom, and this is this is cool? Uh, let's see. The adults talking. Now, one, this is another illustration because this fella who made this comment had came in the area once before. At least that's what the black female said he worked there. He came there before, now he comes back, and it's just talking about nothing. Uh, where I've seen where this can happen in a workplace, white people are able to do this on a pretty regular basis uh, to just come spy on the black people, <laughs> gossip about the black people, whatever they want. We do not have that uh, liberty to do those type of things. Then this gets called out like, hey, weren't you just here before wasting time? Like, don't we have work to do? This is the courthouse. <laughs> Adults are talking. Not said it before. The man, not we are not men and women. Dr. Welsing, too, not men and women on the plantation. We are boys and gals. And they point that out all the time in a variety of ways. That would be one right there. And then she comes back. I don't see one adult here. What, what, what are you talking about? And then he go ahead and shuffles off. But just that right there. I would make a note. He knows you all are not men and women. I'm the best. I can come over here. I am the man. That's why I don't have to work. I can come over here and spy on you all. See what you all are up to. Uh, let's see. The whole flower incident. I thought that was so important. The last portion about this uh, targeted white woman is important too, but the black female who gets flowers in the workplace, I would recommend people not send if you have wife, parents, family members, friends, anybody that you care about. I would not send them uh, those type of showy gifts in the workplace. It's the same logic I use about not having personal items, pictures, that sort of thing uh, up in your workstation. <laughs> we are talking about people. We have had, how many people call in today with urine stories? We're not talking about, you know, we work in a cool environment. This is our family. These folks got our back. It's going to be a celebration when I get my raise. And they're all pulling for me to get my raise. That's not what this is at all. I've said before, uh, I've heard too many times incidents where black people announce that they uh, are about to get married. A black person who works on a job tells the co I'm about to get married uh, or about to, we're already married, about to have, you know, a child, about to have our first child or whatever thing. The same logic. It's not, oh, well, we got a hardworking black person here. This is spectacular. We just got a hardworking person here, period. He needs to be employed, promoted, get this uh, fellow a raise. No. That's not what it is in the system of white supremacy. 
what is this nigger gal doing getting flowers? I didn't even get flowers today. What is she doing getting flowers? From who? Her husband's a crackhead, probably. What is he doing up here sending flowers? This is an outrage. Where did you? That's what you can expect in the system of race. And then something trashy like that to come back to respond to all that. Where did she get flowers from? That's expensive. She doesn't even make that much money. I thought she was on welfare. What is she doing with flowers? The comeback to support is, hush up. You don't know what you're talking about. Her husband is getting laid. What kind of trashy filth is at the courthouse again? We're not at a brothel. This is not out on the corner at some prostitution ring. We're at the courthouse. I don't know what level of employment, even if she was on a custodian there. Like, is that professional? That's how we're supposed to be talking about people uh, in the workplace. And again, it's just black people being re- reduced to something sexual. It couldn't just be, oh, that's beautiful. You go home and give your husband a big hug. That is beautiful. I'm going to go home and smack my husband upside the head for not getting me. It couldn't just be that, right? Oh, that's that's wonderful. I'm so glad you got your flowers. I'm, I'm so envious. And going about the day. Oh, your flowers are wonderful. That's beautiful. And going, it couldn't just be that. It's got to be something trashy. Got to pull these niggers back down. You're just a no good trifling uh, sex person. That's all you are. You're just good for some bedroom time. That's it. Don't send flowers to the workplace. None of that. You're not there. I know it's great. You can do all that stuff at home. We are behind enemy lines in the workplace. Uh, Let's see. The whole dress code thing. I've seen that before uh, when a dress code, if if, either if a dress dress code gets implemented or changed in the workplace and it somehow upsets a white person where this becomes a vendetta, where now they're going to be a Nazi about this. I'm going after anybody in the building (laughs) like, uh, oh, your suspenders are two inches too wide. That's a violation of the dress policy. And I'll be notifying the owner of the company like that sort of conduct. I have seen that before when a white person feels like they've been personally aggrieved. Like if they wear hats every day and they make them do dress code where you can't wear hats. Oh, man, I'm going after everybody in the building now about the dress code because I'm mad I can't wear my hat anymore. From it to go to that. And I, I think that's such a shrewd point that you made. Would she have used that same verbiage if she was working over in the department with all whites? Would she have told them, I'm being targeted? This is an outrage. They're coming after me about the tra- I'm being targeted. Would she have used that language specifically or did she say, oh, I'm with the niggers. I'll tell that I can feel their pain. I'm being targeted. I'm the victim here. You niggers think you got it bad. Look at what they're coming after me about what I'm wearing. And then to follow that up, how gangster is that is gangster to come after that. They've just been upbraided and got to get your clothes together. Can't wear that, whatever it is. Okay. I come back in and it's not, I'm going to comply. It's, I'm going to wait till customers leave. Okay. We're supposed to be a family, but you all listen up. I'm going to be enforcing the dress code policy ruthlessly from this point forward. What kind of announcement is that? Like, whoa, what does that mean? Like, Am I in violation of something? What does that mean? Are you going to rat us out? Like you didn't have a, a button fastened on my jacket today. So you're going to go rat me out? Like what? That I would remember the white woman he talked about in the workplace. She, I don't even think she works there anymore. One of the former wardens. She had an experiment with the dress code. I'm going to see if you all say something about what I wear. Uh, I'm going to wear the same outfit every day and see if you say something about it. That is gangster. The role of these white women in the workplace and how they can go in and function like that. I know if I had been accused of violating the dress code policy, I wouldn't have felt powerful enough to come back in and just basically threaten the whole room and say, you all better watch out, check your mirror twice. Cause I'm going to be checking everybody from now. And we come in, 
I had just been thinking, my goodness, I'm going to make sure I am straight. I'm going to make sure my wardrobe is together so that I don't have to get chewed out again. That would be the way I would function. But I'm not a white woman. I'm not a white man in the system of white supremacy. Courthouse is always a bounty uh, of lessons on uh, white supremacy racism. Wow, we much obliged for uh, sharing. I used to think, you know, the sitting your water on the floor was tough, but I mean, wow, I guess you should be thankful that they did not urine, urinate uh, in your in your water. That seems to be a common one. Uh, let's see uh, the number again: six zero five three one three five one six four. Decode five six four nine four three pound. Press star six one if you would like to participate. Uh, if you have thoughts on what has been shared, if you have your own situation, again, if we have suggestions about do you fill out the uh, gender racial classification form, do you fill it out? Do you leave it blank for employment application? Uh, if you have thoughts on uh, any of the other uh, different scenarios uh, that have been presented uh, thus far or your own situation. Proceed. While folks are taking a moment to get themselves together, I'll get through uh, our emails. Make sure I don't forget any. Uh, this is from Kizzy's cousin. Uh, she writes in. Uh, let's see. Uh, I was, uh, it's been a very trying week on the plantation. Racist suspects have been working overtime. They always do. Summary of racist antics for the week. Number one, I was criminalized twice this week. Act of criminalization one, I was contacted by a company asking for information about opportunities to win contracts from the organization I work for. I forwarded the inquiry to the relevant team and asked them to advise on the response. This resulted in an email to me from a race soldier female, the white women on the warpath, then a follow-up email to me with my manager copied in from a race soldier male who reports to the female. Both emails implied that I had made inappropriate contact with the individual asking for information without making a direct accusation. Basically, the emails received informed me of the company rules. How the person got a hold of my name, I don't know, which was basically my response. I'm annoyed about this even as I type this report. I have heard no more on the matter. Act of criminalization number two. I had a meeting which ran over due to technical problems with the presentation equipment that caused the delay. There was an hour in between this meeting and the next one. However, the room needed to be prepped. When the staff arrived to do the prepping, I acknowledged their requests and asked the delegates to leave. They started to pack up, but apparently not fast enough. Five minutes later, a security guard came into the room. Essentially, he called to turf me out. I was stunned, not least because this was done in front of the delegates. I did mention it to my manager, but in passing, I'm still working through whether it's worth making an official response. I was disrespected, so I didn't think this would be an emotional act, but I'm working through which battle I pick first and what would be the constructive outcome. That is super unfortunate because that happens so frequently uh, that we're not just subjected to one incident of terrorism. It'll be four or five things in a day 
Uh, and sometimes, unfortunately, that's the position that we're in, uh, having to make a decision about which incident of the five of the three do I pick to respond to uh, and do I think I can get a constructive outcome following the logic about what I can uh, reasonably do in response here and what would be the likely outcome that would be to my favor? Like trying to think about that and, and go through all the details. But calling in security because you didn't exit the room fast enough, like, wow, total disregard. I mean, nigga, get out. We gave you 30 seconds. Get out. Tell you three more times. Like, wow, total disregard for black people. Continuing. Next incident. I went on. Uh, I went to a meeting with a race soldier female who has been Voltroning with the female saboteur who terrorizes me. They have conspired to undermine me, which I am attempting to counteract. I've worked with the race soldier female for a while on other projects, and she is acting to type. She asked me at least six times if I was okay, to which I replied yes each time. This happened before the start when we were waiting for other people to arrive and during the break. It's not the first time this has happened, but in the past, I ignored it or at least could not process it. But I did feel uncomfortable. This time, and being less confused, I paid more attention and analyzed this behavior. I concluded this is a racist tick, an unconscious action that betrays an act of attempted deception. I will pay more attention to this in the future interactions with this individual. Hmm. Now that is interesting. Perhaps you can, yeah, just pay attention and see how, how frequently this behavior happens. Picking out patterns, I say that all the time, just picking out patterns and how people behave, what's happening in those situations and see what's going on. Uh, number three, finally, from uh, my recruitment experience archives, my manager asked me to attend a meeting with a race soldier female she met at an event. I conclude my manager expected it to be a serious meeting given the company the race soldier female worked for at the time. That was the only reason I was asked to accompany her. However, the race soldier female was looking for a new job and probably would have preferred I was not in the room. It was possibly her only opportunity to get into my manager's diary. So after an hour of waffling, she ignored my presence at the end and got to her point. She told my manager her position at her job was about to come to an end, so she was looking for new opportunities. My manager gave her the standard line for such such situations, niggers in the room, and said she would bear her in mind should an opportunity come up. After seeing the race soldier female out, she came to me and pretended she was shocked and slightly offended. Imagine my surprise. I was confused a few months later when the race soldier female joined the team. She worked for the company for three years before she decided to leave. In that time, she was able to complete her doctorate and use the company facility, excuse me, and use the company to facilitate starting her own company and securing the contracts. Now, that is a plan. That is connections. That is what domination looks like. I don't have to go to unemployment. I don't have to sit and sweat and try to update my profile and sweat and experiment about whether I fill out the racial classification box or gender box. I just go see my friend Ted. Man, I wish that nigga wasn't here. I just tell him, hey, Ted, 
Need a job. Hook me up. No problem. They got me got the code together. I couldn't even do that. I got to waste an hour. What's this nigger doing here? My fault. Didn't know what was going down. We'll be in touch. And he hooks her up. Got a job. She can hang out. Didn't just get a job. I get a job where I can finish up my doctorate and get enough resources to start my own empire. That is what domination looks like. And they do not offer those type of hookups for black people generally at all. If they do, it's going to come with some serious, uh, I would say, strings. But I want to be specific. It's going to be we're doing this as an investment that whatever skills, resources you get will be applied to help us strengthen the system of white supremacy, not to go back and help out other niggers, help them get this type of job or situation. Very sorry to hear that you had to experience so much uh, trauma and terrorism over the week. Uh, Kizzy's cousin, thank you for writing in. Thankful she didn't have a report about urine in the workplace as well, but there was a lot of uh, abuse in that and a lot of uh, situations with white women doing the mistreating. Do not minimize the role of white women in the system of white supremacy. Uh, Incidentally, I think also uh, white people asking, is everything okay? Is everything okay? I think especially when they know they're doing incorrect things, uh, when they are harming us, mistreating us, lying to us, all the unjust networking and things that happen, when they know all of that, and they, oh, are you all right? Everything okay? I think that's that there is something insidious uh, about that because it can even get to the point where you start thinking, is it everything? Am I upset? If you're not upset, it might even be that you're fine and them just doing that makes it upset. If you are bothered, that's not sincere. That's them doing recon. Yes, Nigra. Tell me what's the matter. I know we've done so much to you. Tell me what specifically is bothering you today so I can go back and report that. I can give an updated unjust networking report after we finish all this. That is workplace racism. Uh, number again, 605-313-5164. The code 564-943-POUND. Press star six one if you would like to participate. Uh, If you have your own situation or thoughts on what has been shared thus far, feel free. Soon folks are still spectating. Uh, If folks, the folks that are listening in uh, who have not shared. I hope you're not having problems with urine, promotions, anything else in the workplace that you are being unmolested. Uh, and if anything, I hope you are still taking notes. Uh, if things are going well for you for the time being, uh, it certainly does not mean that the incorrect and terrorist behavior does not exist in your work area. Uh, be alert to things that are happening around you. Take notes and still work aggressively to get information. Uh, that's some. That's one component of workplace counter racism always looking to get more information things are not always going to be great in the workplace so staying informed alert uh, for if there should be a derailment from things being pleasant and working out uh let's see imhan dc do you have commentary to share sir yes sir um so i'm gonna speak more calmly and so i was going to say a few more things about that workplace but uh, but first somebody else's workplace while I was walking um, had to be a few years ago I was walking um, and um, this this lady a black woman 
um, I imagine she was a prostitute. She kind of fit the description um, in her appearance and her demeanor. And so we were walking. We happened to be walking in the same direction. And so we started talking, you know, just about what, you know, just whatever. Hey, how are you? And so we're talking, we're talking. Once we get to the, um, the fire, the fire station, then she, she starts walking towards the fire station. I'm scratching my head, you know, like, uh, and then, and the white guys are sitting out there waiting on her and she goes in there and she doesn't come out. I kind of just waited to see like, maybe she just needed help. No, no, no. She's a prostitute. And then, so, you know, so, I mean, that's their workplace, but the other thing, um, so in the workplace that I was at, um, as soon as I get on, as they call it, on the floor, or as soon as I get from the training to the the business of handling these children, uh, two of the white managers quit immediately in the in the room that and in, in the because they have several house or they call it cottages or something, but they have several of these buildings where the children are stationed. The the building that I was stationed in. To the the day I came, the day I, I walked in there, um, the top manager of that place left. The top manager of that particular building left. I never even saw his face, but it was the day I, I came. He was actually, he was supposed to, he was working there the day I was there. And and and, and then um, at, by the end of the day, I'm, I'm hearing that uh, he's gone. And the other person, the, the one who I was telling you was doing the um, the FaceTime with the black woman, he says that he's going to quit. And I'm thinking, why are y'all all quitting as soon as I start? Like, uh, well, then who's the management? And then what's my position? Like, who's, who's managing me? And then do I take the position of kind of, you know, like the quote-unquote leader? Because they even had this, this talk about who's the leader and who's the, the members and who's, who, who, you know. But anyway, so I, it just seemed like a whole psychological test what do you call those 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 tests that they do where it well I, I can't think of the the name of the these 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 tests these these psychological experiments that they do it's like well let's see how see how they handle it when everybody leaves or maybe that's not the case it was just it was just really really odd to me and then uh the last thing i wanted to say and maybe i'm not speaking calmly the last thing i wanted to say was that one okay so these kids they're you know the ones that i was dealing with um that i was dealing with they they were like uh close to being out of their teen teenage years they were like late teenage years or you know mid teenage late teenage years well one of these late teenage years white boys males um was hugging he would he would hug the female workers and they're black female workers he would hug the female workers. One of them's from um, an, Af- an African, there's a couple Africans. One of them's from an African country. He hug them. Another one's um, a black American. He hug them. And, and so, you know, while, while we're talking, it's, it's the night I'm talking to the, the workers. And so they, they would tell me, I had actually seen him do this hugging and, and stuff, but they would tell me, uh, or one of them would tell me, oh yeah, there's this kid. Um, uh, he, he would hug me. He, you know, he just, he keeps, he gets really, 
really close and um and it's uncomfortable and you know i give him a hug but you know i think it's something more to it i think he you know he likes it too much and he kind of holds the hug too long and and he he does this and that he stands really 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 close to me you know and it's you know it's basically she was saying she felt it was not appropriate and so i was telling her well if i made the rules this is what the rules would be no touching don't none of you children none of you none of you men touch the women you can look at me you can speak to me from there but do not touch me do not hug me do not tap me that's the rules i would make um but and then she told me and that particular kid he's a sex offender which means he probably you know raped some young relative or something but um, it's all unfortunate and it needs to, it, it, white supremacy needs to end. This is, it's more than unfortunate. It needs to end. Uh, thank you. Much obliged, sir. It is substantially more than, uh, unfortunate. Uh, it is, and it is predictable that these type of things happen in the system of white supremacy. I know in a lot of these facilities, especially if you're going to be working with children, they'll have rules about the, the, they'll have, some of them have rules, no touching. We don't do any hugging, have too much child rape in these type of facilities, no hugging, or they have specific rules that say you have to do side hugs. You don't do the, you know, everybody comes face to face and wraps their heart. You don't do that. You would stand like shoulder to shoulder and it would just be one arm kind of around. That's it. You know, so you can kind of reduce the likelihood of somebody trying to take advantage and do some fondling, that type of thing. They have a lot of rules to try to minimize that in those environments, especially if you have uh, children that have already been victims of any sort of sexual molestation, which is very common. Uh, or if they've been, you know, charged with committing some of those uh, misdeeds themselves, uh, you definitely want to be mindful. Uh, while this seems like one, I guess I'll say one, these environments do tend to have a high level of uh, turnover. Because uh, they tend not to to be great careers, not a, high stress, that sort of thing. So a lot of turnover. No surprise people would be leaving. But uh, if you've been standing up, as you shared with us previously, if you have been challenging some of this uh, suspicious physical behavior that's going on, some of their conduct, that might be, you know, an additional reason. Like, hey, you got this new loudmouth nigra uh, coming in here. You know, we can find easier employment let's you know get on down the road i could easily uh see that uh if they are vacating though if you're going to be there at least on a temporary basis uh that is something that you could suggest like hey let's be mindful of all the physical contact we got children here some of them who've had their own issues with sexual molestation sexual abuse uh let's be really mindful about that let's be professional and how we're executing our jobs in our physical contact with these children our clients and our physical contact with other staff members, make sure that we're modeling correct behavior, like just advoc advocating that as a measure of safety. That's how I present it and see how that works. If you're going to be there at least for a limited amount of time. But I mean, yeah, it just sounds, uh, I mean, for this to be happening in the training, like, wow, that says a lot about the work environment. If this is what's happening in the training, uh, we had, Another person wrote in, I was misinformed, thought I had got through all our workplace emails. Another person wrote in, black male. This person uh, took a new job 
uh, as an educator doing some IT work uh, in an academic setting and, and said he was going to be working on uh, counter-racist codes since he's just starting out in this new environment. Uh, he writes in, updates and observations from the education plantation. The racist suspect pickup man from my previous report will no longer be coming to my campus to pick up broken computers. We now have another pickup person since the complaint my supervisor put in. There was a change in procedure pickup person that was reported to my supervisor and my other black coworker. The racist suspect teacher followed through on her statement and made cookies as a reward <laughs> for my hard work in fixing all her laptops. I told her she didn't have to do it and that a thank you email would have been enough, but took the cookies and gave them to my two co-workers. Good job. One thing I can say about this racist suspect uh, is that this suspect can vouch for the quality of my work. My tragic arrangement supervisor, Cowbell, has been, had been following the Amber Geiger Botham John trial and had been watching it in our office on his computer. He and my other black co-worker were discussing the case, and I provided some commentary on it since it was only the three of us, but did my best to remain codified. They finally announced her sentence when I had 10 minutes left on the clock, and the office was quiet after that. Hmm. I am not surprised that that uh, case came would come up in a workplace context. Uh, I would caution about talking about these type of cases in a workplace environment, even if it's only non-white people present, even if it's all black people. Uh, I'd be cautious just because you never know. Um, they might decide one day that they want to go back and share what you said with another white person. What I've said consistently, whatever you say, if you're comfortable, everybody who works at the school is going to hear what you have to say about the Amber Geiger case. There's going to be a transcript of it. And there you go. If you're comfortable with that, then I would say it. If you're not comfortable with that, I would exercise caution and maybe even avoid commentary. I say what you can do in situations like that, if it's non-white people, you can hear what they say and ask questions, especially if it's white people. You can just ask questions. They want to share their thoughts about Amber Geiger and her sentence and whether you know she should have did this or not. Maybe you ask a question. Maybe you just listen. But I do not recommend making statements about any of these type of cases in a workplace scenario. I've seen where a lot of times it can cause more problems than it's solved. And I'll, I'll put it this way. I've never heard someone say, man, the case came on about Amber Geiger or Michael Brown Jr. or O.J. Simpson or Tamir Rice or Sandra Bland or insert name. I've never heard one of those situations where somebody said that came up. And I shared my opinion. And you know what? I got a raise the next week. I have never heard that scenario I heard where it came up and an argument ensued and that type of thing that very often. Never that happened. And boy, I came in the next day and I had a brand new desk that was assigned to me. Brand new computer. It was sparkling clean and way better than that piece of junk I had before. But there's a first time for everything they say. Uh, star six one. Other folks, if you have comments, questions, much obliged, sir, for writing in. Uh, other folks who uh, are with us, any other comments, questions, observations you want to make sure you share? Yeah, Gus, I have a question if nobody's going to go. I need clarification on the question about checking the box. Um the clarification I need is this like a application that I went to the place I'm seeking employment and picked up myself or is it online? Um, because I have further thoughts on that, 
um, listening to the other callers' thoughts on that. And I would just go ahead and check the box. If I walked in there to get the application, well, probably they saw me. It's usually the manager that, that gives you the application. If it's online, I'm still going to check the box. Um, mind you, I have a white-sounding name. I have a Irish Scott name. So that has benefited me. I've been treated like a white person when they don't see me. Um, but anyway, um, so but if you don't check the box, if you just leave it empty, I do know one of the things they look at in eliminating applicants is you didn't completely fill it out. So they might, they might, you know, if it's other people applying for it and they're looking for reasons to, to narrow it down, um, not, not fully completing the application may disqualify you. It, it just depends. And then the other question is if, I have a a African American or ethnic name, um, and I you and I'm put that on there. They're going to assume that anyway. But even if I put African American and they disqualify me uh, simply because I'm an African American, is that somewhere I really want to work anyway? Um, you know, so I, I have more questions than I have answers on on that. And I'm sorry to change it up, but I just have more thoughts and questions. Thank you. I appreciate that. That's that's a great point. Uh, if you go in, she, I don't think she specified that about whether or not she was getting the applications in person or was she, you know, printing them from the internet or whatever. Um, certainly, if you go in in person, somebody probably will have seen you, so that might, you know make it a little more challenging if you choose not to check it at all or if you're not going to check black if you check white or something else uh if you get it offline you know uh that the, uh the point you raised as well about if you get it offline and say well i won't check it out and then they say well this person didn't fill out the box completely uh, i do know sometimes the uh race and gender component that will be in a section that is specifically labeled optional uh, that you don't have to fill it out. And I think she she had written that in her email, but that is not always the case. So that could be, uh, if it's one of those where, you know, it's not clearly stated that this is optional. It's, oh yeah, they didn't fill it out. And boop. And I think we had a caller who said before, they would just assume if they were classified as white, they would just assume if this person is not proud to identify that, oh yeah, I'm part of the team. They would just say, oh yeah, this is a nigger. Or, you know, this is, this is a non-white person. And, you know, later with that application. So uh, yeah, that's, all valid. All makes sense to me. All seems super logical, Mr. Reed. Uh, let's see. Even the part about do you want to work here if you check the box black and they decide that they don't want to hire you. Is this a spot that you really want to hang out at for 40 hours a week? Uh, any other folks with comments, their own suggestions, uh, their own situation uh, and or suggestions on what has been presented uh, this evening? May I be heard? Caller in Florida. Yes, sir. Oh, yes. Thank you very much, sir. I did have a few more uh, uh, incidents that I wanted to share. This one happened uh, yesterday. I was uh, was, uh, walking to uh, my vehicle, and this white person was uh, on the corner or whatever, and it looks like he was trying to ask me something. So... 
I really was trying to avoid him. So he just ends up asking me, oh, sir, uh, do you happen to know where I can smoke some herb? So I said, no. <laughs> so like, and you know, and he, it, I wouldn't say it caught me off guard, but you have racism, like it's, it's, it's saturated like everywhere. Um, he was standing in front of like a, uh, I think, yeah, it was like a Starbucks, a Dragonfly, uh, Japanese restaurant. Um, yeah, like that, that, uh, association of cannabis and whatnot. Uh, my next one is the black female supervisor, assistant supervisor is what they call her. Uh, the, it was a white man that was an IT and he was helping to set up to upgrade the computer I've been assigned to Windows 10. And uh, the black female was like, oh, well, you know, uh, is everything almost finished and everything? So and he likes to, uh, as they say, kid around or joke or whatever. And he says to her, so, uh, you know, I'm, I'm getting to it or whatever. And she says, well, you know, I have it at home. And I still don't really know how to use it. I'm still working with it. And he said, well, you have it at home. You're, why don't you come out here and help him? You're, you're his supervisor, right? And she says, no, <laughs> she told him no. So he, he gave her a look like what really? And that, that was, that made me think like when they give black people these titles, she knew herself that she in an active sense, in a functional sense, she's not really a supervisor. Um, my my next one is the same supervisor as they call her. Uh, she's been taking later lunches, like maybe thirty minutes to an hour late. And I don't know. This might be uh, some kind of a psychological test or experiment on me because they have let the same white woman change her lunch hour. So. Really, they have to try to find somebody to come in and help cover if we get an abundance of customers. So there's been at least three to four times every week where she's going to lunch later, 30 to 45 minutes later. And what I, the reason I, I'm starting to connect to me is that she would sometimes ask, oh, well, you know, how was your lunch? And I say, you know, not bad. The codified response, not bad. And Another one was like, well, you know, I'm going to go to lunch. Uh, and if any uh, marriage couples come in, just call uh, the real supervisor boss. And I said, okay. And she would say, like, if she did it, if she went to uh, lunch late on one day, she would say, oh, you know, because I'm trying to avoid going, you know, to my lunch too, too late. And she'll stay even if it's not anybody in there. So I was like, man, I wonder why is she staying so <laughs> Why is she waiting to go to lunch late? Because none of the white women have to do that. Um, so I thought that part was really interesting. Uh, I have two other ones. This one is I was upstairs and I was uh, doing my uh, like route to get the documents from the judge's offices and a particular 
J.A., she kept going to certain places that I was heading um, just on the sake of time, and we just happened to be at the same spot. So she said the second time I seen her, she was like, uh, oh, it looks like you're following me or whatever. So I said, yeah, I'm just heading on to my next destination. And uh, she says, well, said you better be careful. Uh, you know, I might have to, I might have to go downstairs and file a domestic violence. And I say, yeah, I know. Right. <laughs> and then she gave me a look like, uh, what? Like, and then, so she changed her whole demeanor. She never said nothing like that ever again. Cause I think she probably expected me to get upset or something. And I just said what I said. And I asked the question, I was like, right. And then, so she kind of like, she smirked at first and then she just, uh, kind of walked off or whatever. But that was like another criminal association. And then I had, uh, another one where I was about to walk out of the office from a certain apartment. And then I got called the name of another black male person. Cause I know this has come up as well, where, black people will be uh, mixed up with one another. One black person will be called another one. Um, she called me the other black male's name. And then she said, no, no, you're, you're such and such. I said, yes, nice to meet you. So she, she actually corrected the name, but I guess when she saw me through the window and through the uh, lines, or whatever, she said, she thought I was the other black male. Um, and I actually had one more. There was a, a white child that came in to where our area is. And everyone was fascinated with the white child because the, the white father, he was whispering stuff into his ear, like, tell him this, tell him this, tell him this. And then he says, oh, you know, the, the definition of infinity is never ending. So everybody's uh, pretty much you know, fascinated and paying attention to the child. Like, I'm like, what's going on here? <laughs> well, when the black children come in, it's like, oh, well, they need to go to the juvenile court. So um, that's all I have for now. Thanks for allowing me to speak. I, I remember that the black children came in. It was, yeah, we need to take them, take them up there and show them what happens. That when you commit crimes, you got to be responsible for what you do in life. Like, wow, like, what is what is going on? Is they trying to put us in the slammer and imply that we're going out here to sell cocaine, Miami Vice, something type down there? This white child comes in and, oh, just such and such and such. Let me impress you with my vocabulary. And I've memorized the dictionary, can recite these definitions. Like, wow, total difference. White children, black children. Uh, let's see the uh, the another name we talked about that one on a regular basis that is super cliche uh, it can't be that many black males uh, in the courthouse I remember that was a group they were trying to get more of uh, so it's not like it's you know 50 500 uh, black males like you running around the courthouse and oh you look just like but oh it's not to miss yes the other other nigger sorry about that uh, the following people being criminalized at work Kizzy's cousin uh, just talked about that uh, that is very common. Uh, that's why I say the accusations in the workplace 
always take that seriously. Uh, this white woman, I have to go and report you for following. We got another Bill Cosby right there. And you see that uh, you're minding my own business. I'm going about my tasks and duties and invariably white woman. Oh, nigger is out to get me. Got to go rat him out. Got to go report him. Uh, and staying in the question lane, not even being surprised that, oh, yeah, going to report me for stalking. Right? Yeah. Yeah, that's what they do down here in Florida. Long reputation of that. That that stuns like, whoa, this nigger is, is talking like he's kind of expected me to say something like this. Whoa, whoa, was not prepared for that one. And then she switches it up and, and goes on about her way. I always say I think it's best when we can kind of be not stunned. Like we are in a system of racism, white supremacy, so. White people are going to say and do racist things like the more that we can kind of be in that state where kind of expecting that. I think we can do a better job of just kind of giving great responses that are casual following counter racist logic because we're not rigid. We're not tensed. We're not getting angry about everything. It's birds chirp. Dogs bark. White people are doing what they are supposed to do. It does mean something to be classified as white. They are demonstrating. Also, phenomenal. You can get that same type of peace of mind. <clears throat> When you recognize, hey, I'm a black person. I am not anybody's supervisor in the known universe. Get that clear, especially if they're white. I am not the supervisor. Even President Obama having that understanding back in the day. <laughs> yeah, I hang out at 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue. Absolutely. I stay in the White House. It is super comfortable. <laughs> Don't you forever think that I am in charge, supervising, Nothing. You see these death threats that I get on a daily basis? Dr. Wells used to talk about that. Just being able to have that understanding, I think, can save you a lot of headaches. Being honest about the situation we are in. I am not in charge. I am not in when you are not the supervisor. Keeping that in mind then as well, too. He, she is not in charge. We are in a system of white supremacy. They may frustrate me. They may be discourteous to me. A whole lot of things may happen, but... This person is not in charge. If we have a system of racism, white supremacy, white people show us every day that that is so. Much obliged, uh, caller in Florida, the courthouse. We all have a Ph.D. in white supremacy, racism, just studying the courthouse. Uh, let's see. Did other folks who are with us suggestions, questions, your own situation, you want to make sure you get in? We'll be here on Saturday, compensatory call in 9 p.m. Eastern, 6 p.m. Pacific. We'll review our reports, what went down over the last seven days, uh, folks in Arkansas. That is one of the few states I have never visited. Billy Clinton's homeland, uh, Arkansas, they are recognizing a century since the Elaine, Arkansas massacre. They don't even know how many black people were killed, but the New York Times reported that armed troops White vigilantes, enforcement officials, whites of all caliber came from everywhere and were given a 200 mile radius to kill black children, females and males. And this went on for days. So and they were very explicit about the type of machinery that they were allowed to use state of the art weaponry for 1919. So, you know. 
There are estimates that the casualties were in the hundreds, a thousand, who knows? White, pe white people kill for fun. Uh, we'll review that as well as Amber Geiger. You can say that again. Amber Geiger, white people kill for fun. Uh, we'll review her, her conviction and sentencing that took place this week, uh, as well as other uh, important uh, events. That'll be tomorrow evening, 9 p.m. Eastern, 6 p.m. Pacific. Update on the retreat as well. Uh, but any other comments, questions, suggestions folks want to offer before we get ready to wrap things up? We'll assume folks uh, are satisfied. Uh, much obliged to everyone who wrote in and the folks who participated live. I uh, hope it was worthy of your time and energy. Uh, definitely recognize uh, it is designed to be frustrating for non-white people, victims of racism. We go to these, we are required to go to these work environments and then get terrorized while we are there. Uh, be mindful uh, of how you are feeling, how your body feels, how your spirit feels, uh, these sort of uh, conflicts. Uh, they can carry over and stick with us way beyond work hours where they are influencing our thoughts, speech, behavior, feelings uh, in a very adverse manner. Uh, if that is happening, seriously consider, do I need to be at this plantation? Are the, can I find a better plantation that is a little less toxic uh, for myself? Really review that and then take active steps. And that means not uh, consuming alcohol and that sort of thing, taking active steps to replenish, doing things that are constructive, doing things that are going to build your body back up, that are going to make you feel better, uh, that are not toxic for you. If that's people that are uh, constructive for you to be around, to a receptive to you, uh, who eat healthy foods, maybe y'all can go for a hike clean up uh, the house or what have you, do something that is constructive, that is going to be pushing you more in the correct direction, help you restore some balance. Do that. Not being around people who are going to be abrasive and rude and call you names and curse and use a lot of profanity. Maybe you minimize a little time and energy around them while you're doing a little bit more self-care, getting yourself together after being terrorized in the workplace. It is super, super important. Calvin Lawrence talked about it. We heard some of that this evening as well. And then watch out for urine too. Neutralizing workplace racism. Uh, again, sobriety would be best. Talked about that a lot. Mr. Lawrence talked about that a lot. Uh, if uh, alcohol is being promoted in your workplace, uh, I would demonstrate with my behavior. I am about sobriety and I am not going to be the chauffeur for drunk racists or drunk uh, victims of racism for drunk non-white people. I'm not doing that either. Uh, we should not be promoting that <clears throat> as a responsible company. That would be my modus operandi, what I would be like functioning in that environment. Sobriety would be best. In addition to that, every time we are in a vehicle, driver or passenger, let's be buckled up. Uh, let's do all that we can. Avoid the Amber Geigers, the Daniel Pantaleos, uh, the Daniel Holtzclaws of the known universe. Uh, in addition to being buckled up and sober, uh, if we are driving, we are not on the cell phone, uh, just trying to do the little things that we can to try to keep ourselves as safe as possible. Uh, with that, Creator, we ask that you help us remain patient 
with other black people, victims of white supremacy. We ask that you help us remain patient with ourselves. Remind us to demonstrate the highest levels of black self-respect at all times, in all places, each and every time we are in contact with another black person. It has been time. Replace white supremacy with justice immediately. Cow signing out. Thanks all for tuning in. Nigga, you so brainwashed. I'm a victim, What's your brother. Problem? You're a victim. Yeah, I'm a up. victim of 400 years of conditioning. Shut up. The man has programmed my conditioning. Mm-hmm. Even my conditioning has been conditioned. <laughs> lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.